to his coming. You're listening to The Watchers of Westeros. I am the king! A Game of Thrones podcast. When you play the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Fire cannot kill a dragon. Lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of a sheep. We've also heard the phrase, a Lannister always pays his debt. For the night is dark and full of terror. What good is power if you cannot protect the ones you love? We can avenge them. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the inaugural episode of The Watchers of Westeros. My name is Dominic, and joining me, as he will, on every episode is my good friend and co-host, Kieran. Hello, good evening, Dominic, and welcome, listeners, to myself and Dominic's new podcast, The Watchers of Westeros, and I have to say, I am ecstatic that we get to do a podcast dedicated to game of thrones and i guess it's appropriate that we we introduce ourselves a little bit then dominic to to people who've never heard of us before and and really want to know what what on earth we are doing yeah um for some reason to be experts on game of thrones (laughs) (laughs) yeah for some reason you haven't heard us heard of us before because we're super famous from all of our other podcasts no uh yeah so i my name is dominic jones as i said off the top um i've been podcasting for about this has got to be three years now, probably about three years now. I've been doing the Star Wars Underworld podcast, which is a weekly show about all things Star Wars. So, of course, we're very excited about Episode 7. We're, we're getting psyched up for that. And, of course, there's Rebels, which is on TV and, and all kinds of fun stuff like that. And so you can check that one out if you want to. If, you've, if, you, if you're into Star Wars, it's, go to StarWarsUnderworld.com. You can listen to that. Um, and for the last about year and a half now, I've also been doing another show called The Clone Wars Strikes Back, which is another Star Wars podcast and is dedicated to the, the animated series Star Wars The Clone Wars. And that's still ongoing. We're, we're rewatching that entire series because that's a lot of fun. And I do that show with Kieran and, and we've been doing, so we've been podcasting together for about a year and a half now. And we sort of thought, you know, you know what else would be fun to podcast about? Game of Thrones. And, uh, we're both big fans and, well, I, here we are, <laughs> episode one, talking, uh, we're gonna be, well, we'll let you know about the show in just a second, but Kieran, why don't you let the folks know about your background doing, uh, doing radio, uh, over at Expression. Absolutely, and as Dominic has said there, we've been, I can't believe we've been podcasting now for a year and <laughs> yeah, a half really. on the, on the Clone Wars Strikes Back, and we've been having really, really good fun with that, we're, we're over halfway through the series now, and We've got so much fun stuff to look forward to. But as Dominic said, you can listen to that via our, our Facebook page and our website, um, www.starwarsunderworld.com. Anyhow, yeah, for, for me, I am also part of a student radio society at the University of Exeter. And that student radio society is named Expression FM. It's a lot of good fun. Um, I'm involved in countless shows, predominantly focused on sport, but I've also been getting involved with scripted. So that's do with plays on radio, and that's, nice. that's been really good fun. And 
there's, there's also news. Um, and I've also been conducting recently presenter training. So it's, it's a process of which I get to train people who are also novices to the, who, who were novices to the, to the airwaves and actually getting them up to, to the standards. I was going to say my high standards, but no, maybe not my high standards, but uh, the, the standards <laughs> that you need, to, you need to be able to reach to become a presenter on, on the radio. And just to put a bit of context into in Expression FM, it, the Exeter this year is going to be hosting the Student Radio Awards, which is where radio societies from all over the country here in, in the United Kingdom will come down to Exeter and there'll be some big radio names coming in if people know people like uh, Scott Mills, for example, um, and, and people from the BBC Radio would be coming down. And just this past Thursday, actually, a couple of my very good mates on Expression FM were actually invited to go and, 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 and attend a session on BBC Radio 1. Cool. So that is uh, the equivalent to CBC for you in Canada, yeah, Dominic, yeah. and... No doubt, uh, CNN and, and, and NPR and, uh, in the in the US for, for and NPR for the for the people in the United States of America, and so that and 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 they did really well. I have to say, I listened back to it and they were absolutely fantastic. So that's kind of a bit of my background, really. I'm a student at the University of Exeter, and yeah, I, I, it really has been this past year and a half in terms of not just podcasting with Dominic, but also the radio stuff that I've been doing. So. Um, yeah, it's been. It's not, it's not been. I'm not as experienced, I guess, as Dominic in this field, but uh, <laughs> oh. <laughs> I'm not. I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not far off, I guess. I'm catching up. You know? You're catching but, up. Yeah, yeah. We, 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 we've been having a lot of fun, haven't we, on the yeah. Clone Wars podcast? Yeah, yeah. Just to give a little background on that, you know, we've been doing that Clone Wars podcast. Um, you know, we we started doing it after we we got to to hang out in person for for the first time in uh, in Germany in 2013 at a Star Wars convention, Star Wars Celebration, and we decided you know we want to do a podcast because we want to to stay in touch and we want to keep talking Star Wars, and so we've been doing that show. I think we've done about 27 episodes of that show, and we do that mm. sort of on an every other week ish schedule. <laughs> um, we're gonna have a much more uh, strict schedule for this show, at least. Uh, at least at the beginning, because of course we're ramping up to season five, and and so as Kieran mentioned, we're about halfway through the the Clone Wars series in terms of reviewing it and everything, and we sort of realized, well, when we get to the end, there's not then we're not going to have a podcast. The podcast will be over when the Clone Wars is over, and so we started thinking about various things that we could do after that show ended, and one of the the things that we both thought of was Game of Thrones. And we were sort of thinking that would be sort of the next thing to do. And then we kind of realized that season five is coming up and it'd be kind of nice to talk about season five. So we should probably kick things off sooner and, and have the two podcasts uh, run concurrently for a little while. So uh, we're, we're in for a lot of podcasting over the next uh, six months, but it's going to be going to be a ton of fun. Uh, but let's sort of give our background on uh, watching Game of Thrones. So I think we should admit first here, first and foremost, right here on the first episode that we have not read the books. We have not read A Song of Ice and Fire, uh, or any of any of the books by uh, by George R. 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 Martin, as a as a Peter Dinklage calls him. Uh, we have not read them. I do intend to read them at some point, but uh, you know that will that will probably happen once season five is aired. Don't want to don't want to be reading and uh, and watching at the same time because it will. I don't know. I feel like that would kind of throw things off a little bit for me. So I I probably wait until season five is over, but. It, 
But so I do think that gives us sort of a, a different and unique perspective because it gives us sort of we can look at things right now as just the show. So if you, if you read the books um, and you choose to keep listening to the show, you can you can laugh at us for all of our speculation for what's to come. And uh, you'll know that we're either spot on or couldn't be farther from the truth. So you can you can enjoy laughing at us. Um, don't don't, don't send us emails saying here's what happens in the books. I uh, don't want spoilers quite like that. Um, no, we don't want spoilers like that yeah. at all. But feel free to to, li- but do, to do actually we... listen to us because, yeah. as you said, Dominic, we're we're providing a, a different and distinct perspective on this TV show because we don't know what comes up. Yeah, and I think that's a different experience that you'll usually get to people who have read the books mm. before, and it's and it's going to be a really exciting ride for us as well, to be honest. And and of course, we realise as well that by the time season five comes to an end we will pretty much be on the same close trajectory it, as yeah. the books. We'll be close to where the books are, if I'm being honest. So um, I don't know when George R.R. R. Martin intends to release his yeah. next book, which we know is um, uh, under construction at yeah. this point in Do- time. It doesn't look uh, like it'll be till till next year at the earliest. Exactly. So, so by then, we may well, as Dominic said, over the summer when we got a huge break and we'll be on the same position as everyone else when it comes to what happens after season five <laughs> no one no one will really know then we'll start reading the books perhaps yeah yeah that, that i think that could be a lot of fun but that's that, that's way down the line we'll, we'll get to that we'll get to that when we get to that um so one more thing before we really get into the the meat and potatoes of this episode um how did you get into the series of game of thrones what what inspired you to start watching it was it was it the hype was it just general interest <laughs> what what got you into it i think yeah it was just generally interest in the sense that i didn't, never knew what game of thrones was or how big it was mm-hmm. to people before it first aired and i was i was one of the few who i'd say watched it since the beginning when it actually aired four four years ago yeah now, 2011 so i know a very <laughs> seems a very long time ago now yeah. and I, I just saw it. It was this new epic fantasy TV series which was being launched on Sky Atlantic, which is our equivalent, I guess, to HBO for you guys. Mm-hmm. And it was it was new. It was fresh. I didn't really know what it was about, but I, I'm quite a big fan of Lord of the Rings. And I could see that there were correlations to the tone and also the... The, the background to it, it seemed quite medieval-esque, as it mm. were. But then there was also that fantasy element as well, with uh, whether it was uh, with magic or these white walkers, which we'll, we'll get on to talk about. So for me, yeah, it was just uh, stimulated interest, really, from curiosity. I was just stemmed by curiosity as to as to discover what this TV show was all about. And, and it hooked me. It hooked me right from the start. And that's testament and, and tantamount, tantamount to... George R. R. Martin and and the people who work behind the scenes on this program do an absolutely phenomenal job. And since then, I've just been, you know, every every time it gets to about January of the new year, I'm always <laughs> my my anticipation gears up for the new season. But what about yourself, Dominic? How, yeah. how how did you get involved with Game of Thrones? Did you start right at the beginning? No, I am a a very new Game of Thrones fan. If I'm being perfectly honest, I. I binge watched the uh, the first four seasons just this past fall. Uh, I've I've rewatched them a couple times since then. So I, you know, 
It's not like I've watched them once and think, yeah, I can talk about them. No, I, 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 I'm familiar with the, with the subject matter, but I, I did, I only started watching it in the fall and it it was, it was partially you and it was partially other people sort of telling me it's, it's so good. It's so well, well written and so well produced that I sort of decided, well, I, I have to, I have to watch it now. I have to know what everybody's talking about. And, and I, I did, and I, I was hooked from the beginning and, uh, and here we are now, <laughs> here we are now, you know, just, I, I think it's probably been about less than five months since I started watching Game of Thrones, but I, I am, uh, I am hooked. I'm a, a huge fan of it. And like I said, uh, I am looking forward to, to sitting down and reading the books someday in the somewhat, but not too distant future. All right, so let's let's. Uh, here's how we're going to we're going to break down the first uh, couple of episodes. So season five is going to premiere in about it's it's April twelfth, right? That's the that's the date. That's the day. Right, that's that's the se- day. Yeah, that season five, uh, five airs on HBO, and so in that time, we're going to basically go back and talk about all of the episodes leading up to that that time, and we're going to release these shows on a weekly weekly basis. Now, obviously. Uh, there's more more episodes than there are weeks. So what we're going to do is we're going to talk about five episodes each week. So this this week we're starting off with season one, and we're start with episode one, and we're going to talk about two, three, four, and up until five. And then next week we'll do six through ten, and then we'll repeat the process with seasons two, three, and four. And then we'll do a, a little little uh, preview show for season five, and then hey, then we'll be in, and we'll do an episode uh, per episode when season five is on and uh but also if there's any big breaking news like there was this week uh we will talk about it on the show as well so with that in mind i let me tell you about what i did this weekend because this weekend they were doing the big imax screenings of game of thrones and so i was able to go down to the the imax in toronto and see uh the final two episodes watchers watchers of the wall and the children and uh Wow, they were phenomenal. They really looked good in IMAX. They looked good and they sounded good. And and it was just fun to get to see them in this new format uh, with an audience. Uh, there was some, some good moments where the, the entire audience laughed, even though we've all seen the episodes a couple times probably. Uh, when when Jamie bursts in to, to save Tyrion and Tyrion goes, oh, what? Don't just do it already, you son of a whore. And Jamie says, oh, is that any way to talk about her mother? Uh, that got a good laugh in the in the theater. Uh, but what was kind of annoying was when when Tyrion was facing off with Tywin there at the end of the end of season four. There was and everything goes quiet. There's not much music in that scene. There's just dialogue. I could hear the people behind me, and one person was explaining to the other person everything that was going on. It was like, come on, man. Not now. Not in this scene. Not in this intense, dramatic scene where there is no music. It'd be different if, you know, if it was in the prior episode when, when you know, in one of the big battle scenes and there's music and, and swords clanging and, and all this stuff. And instead, it was in this really intense and quiet scene. Uh, but we also got to see the trailer, which HBO has since released online. So, well, why don't we take a listen to the audio from the season five trailer? Nothing's more hateful than failing to protect the one you love. There's no justice in this world. Not unless we make it. Avenge them. I, I will be king. 
I believe men of talent have a part to play in the war to come. I will never sit on the Iron Throne. You will be queen. You could help another climb those steps and take that seat. We can be heroes. I'm not going to stop the wheel. I'm going to break the wheel. That little monster is out there somewhere drawing breath. I don't think I'm ready for what I deserve. Whitney! They'll never even find what's left of you. You strip away the gold. Knock down the statue. And this is what remains. The Seven Kingdoms needs a ruler loved by millions with a powerful army and the right family name. Good luck finding him. Who said anything about him? There you have it. That is the season five trailer, and man, that looks so good. Uh, Kieran, what what are your your general thoughts on that trailer? Well, it's absolutely fantastic. I, I'm genuinely pumped now for for season five, and I went as I said. Once January comes about, I I'm just ready for the Game of Thrones season to kick off, and we've hit February now, so there's <laughs> only a couple of months to go. But there. there was some good stuff in that trailer, wasn't there, mate? Oh, yeah. So much good stuff. Uh, what I really like is, is that we're going to see more of, of Tyrion and Varys together. Because I really liked mm. their dynamic in, in season two. And so to see them together again uh, will be interesting. Uh, it'll be in completely different circumstances, which I'm sure will will change things up a little bit. But I, I'm looking forward to seeing more of those two together. It's also nice to see lots of the stories that for a while seemed – very separate are starting to to intertwine you know we have stannis at the wall with with the with with the red woman and Jon snow and, and all that going on and, the, and of course a whole lot seems to be going on in the east with with Tyrion and Varys being there and Arya as well and of course they're they're probably gonna meet up with with Daenerys and 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 have some interesting stuff go on go on there sure the book readers right now are going you guys have no idea what's happening <laughs> but you know what else I was quite intrigued about was that we still seem to be spending a lot of time at King's Landing because mm-hmm. at the end of season four, I was under the impression that we see Tyrion, Varys, Arya, everyone's, as you said, moved to the east now. And I didn't think we'd spend too much time at King's Landing, but it seems like there's still a lot going to be going on mm-hmm. in, uh, in in that in that capital city, really. And, and a lot of stuff with, uh, seems as though um, Tomlin's, Finally, going to get married to Marjorie. Yeah. Um, so again, a king and a queen. So it's um, it's, it's just going to be interesting to see how that dynamic really works. But you know what? We didn't really see much of in here. Hmm. Didn't see much of of Mr. Ramsay Snow or the Boltons. Did yeah. We, we saw a brief more... glimpse of Reek. Yeah. Or, uh, or Theon Greyjoy for those uh, 
who can remember his name before he <laughs> went absolutely well he's just he's just become insane a bit now really isn't it yeah. in the sense that uh, he's lost his mind <laughs> well um, he's, he's, so, he's lost his balls in more ways than more ways than one exactly exactly <laughs> and i think that i i want to see more of that story as well i think there's going to be a lot there's a lot more still to go on yeah. in, in westeros yeah. But as you said, uh, there there does seem to be a, a, a major shift in focus towards the east. Yeah. But well, I think if we, we were going to compare it to what the episodes we do now, complete contrast, I think. Yeah. Um, I could see that the proportion of time spent on Daenerys in season one will be similar to the proportion of time spent at King's Landing in season five. But yeah. that's, well, there's, there's that's still- just my thought. Yeah, well, there's still lots of interesting things happening in season one. Of course, there's going to be ramifications oh, for 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 Tywin's death and 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 all that. And uh, yeah, I was a little bit more surprised to still see so much going on at the wall with with wildlings and stuff. But I guess I sh- mm, I shouldn't have yeah. been. I shouldn't have been. But something about the way season four ended, it seemed a little bit. I don't I don't know if final is the right word, but it seemed sort of like well, this is sort of a a transition moment where we're not going to necessarily spend so much time focusing on, on wildlings anymore. Maybe it's time to start looking a little bit more at the White Walkers as as the genuine threat. Um, but there's lots of stuff with wildlings in there. And, and so I, I'm, I'm intrigued to see where that's going as well and, and, and what happens with, with Jon Snow and, and Sam and, and everybody up at the wall. So yeah, Absolutely. so, so um, we're going to – of course we're going to talk more about this trailer. I, I'm sure it will come up in, in discussion as as we continue on through these weeks. Uh, talking about about episodes, uh, and of course we're going to do a, a preview show for for season five, and we'll really go into depth in the trailer uh, then. But we wanted to to mention it and and share some thoughts on it right at, right here since it is so fresh. I mean, it came out. You know, we're record we're recording on Super Bowl Sunday, long before the Super Bowl, but uh, you know we're recording on that day. So the trailer just came out yesterday, so we're we're very excited about that. Um, the other thing we want to mention is the uh, the Game of, Game of Thrones: A Day in the Life uh, documentary that's going to air on uh, on HBO on February eighth at seven thirty p.m. Eastern. Uh, it it covers sort of the basically what happens in one day of shooting on Game of Thrones, and I'm sure that's going to be fascinating. You know what this kind of reminds me of? Of course, we're gonna. You know, of course, we have to relate everything back to Star Wars. Uh, but you know, on the Revenge of the Sith DVD, there was that within a minute documentary mm. where they showed you everything that it took to to go into just creating one minute of that film. This kind of reminds me of that, sort of like everything that goes into making one day, and it looks like it's going to be very interesting. And you know, we'll have some teasers at at what's to come in season season five. So uh, we've got the trailer for that. We'll take a listen to that, and then we will get into season one. Game of Thrones is a big event, and what you mustn't do is get put off by the bigness. I think we're the only ones in the world that shoot with two units at the same time all season long. Yeah, so there you have it. February eighth. That's uh, that's uh, next Sunday at seven thirty p.m. on HBO, and I, I'm looking forward to seeing this. It looks like it's going to be very interesting. 
All right, well, let's get into season one. As we mentioned, we're going to talk about episodes one to five of, uh, of season one. And uh, how we're going to do this is we're going to kind of break the things down sort of by location and by character. So we're going to sort of focus in on on all the characters that are in one location. So we'll we'll sort of look at the King's Landing Winterfell situation. Then we'll get into some of the stuff at the wall and then we'll we'll wrap it up by talking about what's going on in the east with with Daenerys and, and Khal Drogo and and all that fun stuff. So let's let's start off, of course, with with Ned Stark, Ned Stark, the uh, the supposed main character for season one. <laughs> it, you well, know, just before it, we do that, Dominic, yeah. do you want to quickly go over the plot? Sure. Yes, I'm sorry. I, I am sorry. I forgot to mention that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kieran, why don't you give uh, give us a brief reminder of of what happened in in these first five episodes? Absolutely. We'll kick off with the first episode, which is titled Winter is Coming. Lord Eddard Stark is troubled by reports from a Night's Watch deserter. King Robert and the Lannisters arrive at Winterfell, and Viserys Targaryen forges a new allegiance. And the second episode is titled The King's Road. The Lannisters plot to ensure Bran's silence. Jon and Tyrion head to the Wall, and Ned faces a family crisis en route to King's Landing. In the third episode in the series, titled Lord Snow... John impresses Tyrion at Castle Black. Ned confronts his past and future at King's Landing, and Daenerys finds herself at odds with Viserys. The fourth episode in the series is titled "Cripples, Bastards, and Broken Things." Ned probes Arryn's death. That's John Arryn's death. Jon Snow takes measures to protect Sam, and Tyrion is caught in the wrong place. And the final episode that we'll be considering in this show is The Wolf and the Lions. That's episode five, titled The Wolf and the Lion. Ned refuses an order from King Robert. Tyrion escapes a perilous encounter, only to find himself caught up in another. Yes, yes. So uh, some great episodes, of course. Let, let's start, uh, before we get into the characters, actually, let's let's start off just by talking about this first episode, really the first couple of episodes. You know, what, it really speaks to what HBO was willing to do with this series because you look at the promotion for game of thrones and you're, you're promoting this epic medieval fantasy with dragons and wars and, and all this stuff. And you look at that first episode, there's hardly any action. It's, it's almost all political intrigue. Uh, you know, it speaks, I think sort of how much they followed the books, because I, I think you can get away with that a little bit more in a book. Um, but also, just the willingness of HBO to try and do something different. I, I found that very, uh, very interesting, you know, to sit down and watch that first episode. You expect, you expect because we're used to other shows where there'll be some big battle. There'll be something to introduce us to, you know, who's the great warrior and, and who's all, who, who's who. And, and we sort of, we get that a little bit, but it's all through dialogue. You know, we get reminded that, that Ned and Robert fought in these wars together. And so they're sort of the old guard. And, you know, it's hinted at that, that John and, and Rob are, are, you know, good fighters and we see Bran training, but it, it never quite, you know, it never quite comes to action in that first episode. And really only in, in the fifth, fifth episode, the wolf and the lion, when, when Ned and Jamie face off in the middle of the street, do we really get a, an epic kind of fight? I mean, we got a little bit with, with the hound in the mountain in, in one of the prior episodes at the tournament, but Really, I thought that was a, a very interesting, interesting way to go. And so, you, since you've been watching it from from the beginning, when you first watched this episode, did you kind of think, 
okay, that's it? Or were you just sort of uh, pulled in by the by the intrigue? Oh, I was I was definitely pulled in by the intrigue. And I think what's so distinct between this epic fantasy compared to other films in this type of genre is the fact that this is really character-driven. And that's what really makes this this TV series so successful, I think, at least, is that you care about the characters. And as you said, there's a lot of political intrigue, but it's there's this ensemble cast mm-hmm. that the Game of Thrones uh, crew have, have managed to, to manage to acquire. And all of them are just absolutely fantastic in their roles. And you can see the rapport between the characters, uh, the synergy between them is is really what grips you, I would say. And particularly that moment at the end of that first episode, which we'll come on to when uh, Bran is pushed from the tower, you've got to a point here where you've been introduced to these characters, uh, the Starks in particular, who really are your... They're the characters who I believe the audience are rooting for. Yeah. Um, and that's why when we see what happens later in this season, and in particular... Season three, well, and season two as well, really. Uh, yeah. If you want to include the sacking of Winterfell in that yeah. as well, it's just the emotional impact on the audience is huge because we root for these characters, and yet they, they it's, 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 it's a different type of story that they're the ones that bite the dust, and <laughs> it's so hard to accept that. But that's part of the reason why this is such a good show. So to answer your question, there, I think that. Yeah, it was it was really the character interaction, uh, the interaction between the different characters and the different settings, which really pulled me into this episode, uh, into the series. Really, and the action, as you said, was you could argue relatively non-existent um, up until episode five. But what what was it that drew you draw that yeah that drew you into this story? Then was it yeah. was it something similar? Yeah, it was it was very much the same thing, and I, I think it speaks to the the writing in that they're able to make you interested in these characters without having without any of them ever really having to to pull out a sword and fight each other. You know, they did do such a phenomenal job of sort of building up all of the you know, all of what's going to happen, so that. You know, when when Ned and Jamie do finally face off, you've been kind of waiting for it. It's everything's it almost feels like the first five episodes have all been building to this moment because we've sort of seen the interaction between these two characters and and what it's like. And so when they when they do finally get into a sword fight, it makes it all the more interesting. And and yeah, and again, it just speaks to the writing that they were able to make everybody seem so interesting or make everybody so interesting in these first couple of, couple of episodes without ever really, um, you know, get going into that television trope of having sort of the bad guy of the week and have them sort of get into an, an epic showdown with him in the first episode. Because you, you look at most sort of action-oriented shows, that's generally what happens in the pilot. But I guess, you know, with HBO, they don't have to worry about a lot of the same things that other shows do, which is which is great, which is great. All right, let, let's let's talk a bit about Ned uh, because he's he, he's a very interesting character. He is sort of the he's the character we expect to sort of follow. He's you know I think he's, he's the one honorable man in, in King's Landing. Is, is, is I think Ferris calls him. And when we see him for the first time, he's watching Bran do do his archery training, 
and Jon Snow sort of goes up and whispers into Bran's ear, you know, uh, you know, do it right. Uh, father's watching. And I sort of thought when I saw that, I thought, OK, here we go is the the tough father who's, you know, who's, who's eventually going to, you know, his his toughness is eventually going to be shown to be his loving factor. And that'll bring the characters around. And that's sort of what I was expecting. And then, you know, when Bran misses, instead of getting sort of like a stern look from from Ned, we get um, him basically uh, stopping John and, and Rob from from laughing at at Bran. And, and we get sort of this sort of kindly old, this kindly old war hero, basically. And I thought that was a really nice, to- nice touch. So what were your overall impressions of, of Ned Stark? I was a big fan of Ned. He was certainly my favorite character when I first watched this series, <laughs> oh. Um, oh. which was, which was heartbreaking when we, we see what is to come to his character um, and, and his ultimate fate. But, I just thought Sean Bean played him perfectly, to be honest. As you said, he was this benign, benevolent mentor, really, to mm-hmm. these children. And he, to me, at the time, obviously it's clear now that this wasn't the case, I assumed that he was the protagonist. As you yeah. said, he was the individual that we'd be following throughout this story, who would be rooting for, and obviously... When you know, the protagonist would be put into perilous situations, but at the end of it, he'd survive, and and it would all be it would all be happy days, so to speak. But that was not that was not to be the case not with Ned, be. unfortunately. <laughs> which again, I should really have expected by uh, because it was Sean Bean who played him. <laughs> but I I did I did think that his his demeanor was something to be in, to be inspired, particularly in the, in the context of this of this show. And and the characters who are really involved in this, that uh, yeah, we, we're put in this epic medieval fantasy world here, where yeah, most people here, it's uh, you know, you, you you kind of have it's, it's a bit like natural selection, really. It's the survival of the fittest mm-hmm. here, and and it's it was quite compelling to actually witness, bear witness to um, an individual actually um, upholding an honourable code, as it were to whether it was to protect his family um and and whether it was to to be you know, on in terms of being trustworthy to his friends uh, particularly king robert uh, the loyalty that he has there um and i think that was just really something that was an admirable quality in his character really um one of the, one of the main characteristics that had had led me to become endeared to him at least so yeah i really i really think that he is the character that the audience immediately jumps on the bandwagon with and, and says, yeah, we're with you all the way, Ned, until episode nine. Um, <laughs> what about you, Dominic? Yeah. What did you make of Eddard Stark, yeah, Lord he, Eddard Stark, Warden of the North? Well, yeah, he seemed to be the, the reluctant hero, which generally usually turns out to be the, the ultimate hero in a story because he didn't want to be a hand of the king. He... You know, which is kind of like you look at something like like Harry Potter. The only person who can get the uh, philosopher's stone out of the mirror is the person who doesn't really want it or doesn't want it for themselves. And so you kind of get, have that same same kind of situation here with with Ned. He doesn't really want any of this power that he's being given by Robert. He doesn't want to be handed the king. He doesn't really want to go to King's Landing, and he probably doesn't really want to marry Sansa off to to Joffrey either. Um, but he's sort of in this situation where he really has no choice. And, and we even get to see sort of his reluctance at, at doing this. Um, cause when he kills the, the, um, 
the the deserter from the Night's Watch at the, in the beginning of of the first episode, you know, he it doesn't really take any pleasure from it. You know, you you think about how another character would do this. Um, you know, they might do it angrily. They might do it uh, with with vengeance or or even happily. If you if you look at some of the more more evil characters, and and Ned just kind of does it with this very somber tone that clearly he doesn't want to kill this guy but he has to i mean he broke his broke the oath and he, he says that great line you know the, the man who passes the sentence must be the one to sing, to swing the sword and it, so they they did a really good job of building him up as as sort of the guy who's going to going to save everyone who's going to save westeros um and of course we we know how that turned out <laughs> uh well let's let's talk about ned's uh ned's ned's friend his best friend uh, Robert Baratheon, the king. So Robert, Robert's an interesting character because on the one hand, he's, he's very, very kind of funny. You know, he's always telling, he's always saying ridiculous things. There's the whole, the whole scene, uh, with, 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 uh, Lancel Lannister. And he tells him to, you know, fetch him the breastplate stretcher, <laughs> which was such a great <laughs> moment, such a great moment there. And he, and the the way uh, the, the actor Mark Addy played him was was very well, was very good and was very this big uh, guy who clearly thinks he's the most important person um, and just is there just to have fun uh, instead of you know actually being king. So uh, overall, what what did you think of uh, of Robert Robert of the House Baratheon? <laughs> Yeah, I think he was a, he was a jovial and, and, and jolly character, really. Yeah. I mean, he, he had his flaws, as <laughs> every character on this show does. But I think that there was a lot to admire, really. And I think because, at least I'd, I'd like to think the audience had become endeared to Ned, they had become also... Uh, they'd, they'd become endeared to their relationship, I think, and their friendship, because there was this clear, close bond here. Mm-hmm. Uh, throughout throughout these episodes, um, immediately when we, when he he strolls and, and walks down that that platform off the carriage um, or off off the horse, and and he immediately goes up to Ned and he looks and he, he gets him to stand up and looks him right and directly in the eye and says, "You've got fat," yeah. <laughs> and then and then Ned just gives him a look at his own belly, and then they just burst out in laughing, and you can tell that. There's just something about him that he could have that stern side to him, but he was he was quite a, a jolly fellow that that you you couldn't not help but smile at, I guess. Um, and also, it would be helped because it was helped as well because he equally wasn't a fan of the Lannisters the same way the Starks weren't. Mm-hmm. Um, so you could see that for Ned, it was an ally um, yeah. that he could go to. So yeah, I think that there was a lot to to like about. Rob's character throughout this and we won't come on to it quite yet but when he eventually passes away um, that's really when things start to spiral out of out of the Stark's control really and yeah. and it all yeah. goes kaplut as it were but anyway that's, that's not quite what we're, what we're talking yeah. about now so what did you make of King Robert in well, these episodes Dominic? Yeah well Robert I think it's just going off what you were saying there I, th- I think he was kind of the the audience and, and almost Ned's uh, safety blanket you know and for as bad as things might get with the Lannisters in these first episodes you know Robert was always there to sort of uh, act as as mediator to to sort of keep the Lannisters in check basically you know we see the whole the whole sequence with the 
with with Sansa and 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 Arya and Joffrey and, and you know they have their fight and it's Robert who has to sort of pass decision on it and you know Jamie or not Jamie uh, Cersei is trying to you know have horrible things happen to to the Stark children uh and and Robert is sort of the one that sort of says no 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 children fight Let, we can can't can't we just get over this basically um and so yeah he's he's kind of there as the the safety blanket to keep things uh keep things in check and so that makes what happens to him all the more tragic and and important um but the other thing that i I really quite liked about robert was that as he is he is the funny guy you know he is the funny guy he was sort of the comic relief for a while there but he did he did have sort of a a deeper sense he wasn't just there for jokes uh you know obviously he has his past with uh with lyanna stark um and maybe we'll talk about her i'm sure uh lots in the future um so he has that whole past with you know, not really, uh, with n- never really getting over her. And then, of course, that sort of carries over into his relationship with Cersei. And there's that great scene between the two of them where they, where they talk things out, um, about, you know, their relationship, their marriage, and, you know, the potential war between Westeros and the Dothraki. And then, but then he also, also seems to be struggling with some sort of form of, of PTSD. There's, you know, he's drinking the whole time. And, you know, at, at first that just kind of seems like, oh, he's the king, he's a drunk. But there's, there is that scene between him and Sir Barristan, and he calls in, in Jamie as well, and they talk about the first time they killed a man. And, you know, in that scene, we see that there's a lot more to Robert than just the funny guy, and that maybe he's drinking to sort of deal with the pain of, you know, these wars that he's fought. You know, these, these rebellions that he's been through. And yes, he, you know, he talks about loving killing and, and loving fighting these wars. But in that one scene, we do sort of see that there's more to him than just, you know, a killer. And that maybe had things gone differently, had he not gone to these wars, we would see a very different character uh, who isn't a drunk and, you know, might actually be a decent king. And so I, I thought that was a very sort of uh, revealing moment about Robert that, you know, he wasn't just, you know, fetch me the breastplate stretcher. The king is too fat for his armor. You know, all that fun <laughs> stuff. Uh, he, he did have a sort of a, a sense of, of depth to him. But but let's talk about uh, Cersei Lannister. Let's talk about his wife. Let's get into into that. You know, she's clearly quite power hungry. And, you know, she's obviously trying to manipulate everything to work out for her. You know, she wants to have Joffrey on the throne because she thinks she can control him. She thinks what wrongly, um, but she thinks she can. And we kind of see, I, I initially in these episodes, you kind of wonder if, if, you know, she has this outward exposure where she's, she's very tough and, 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 you know, focused on, on getting power and c- controlling power. But then she has, there's that one scene with Joffrey where she talks about, you know, what it takes to be a good King. And, and, you know, when Joffrey is saying, all the things he would do to the North, you get the sense that she knows what she's talking about a lot more than, than Joffrey does. And, you know, clearly she's evil, but she'd probably be the preferable choice to over, over Joffrey. So um, let's get, let's get your thoughts on, uh, on Cersei. Well, she's definitely a manipulative character, isn't yes. she? Yes. As you said, she, she tries to do her best to sway Joffrey's opinion, so it's uh, so it, I guess, correlates to what her views are on the world. Um, ultimately, unsuccessfully, but 
Yeah, I, I, I don't know if I'd necessarily give her that label as evil. I think that she has a lot of flaws, quite, mm. quite clearly. But deep down in her heart, she does care about her family. Yes. And I think that's her overriding ambition, but it's also her overriding weakness. Um, there's, that, there's that great scene between her and Catelyn Stark after Bran has fallen down, yeah. the, down the tower. And she starts talking about the story, divulging the story of when her son died. And it was quite moving, I would say, even though you could argue that she was one of the she was the principal reason that, yes. <laughs> that he felt that he fell from the tower. She didn't push him herself. And so there is a little bit within her that now I, I am empathetic towards, I guess, even though, as you said, there is particularly her outward complexion. Um, she seems to be the foil to our heroes, as it were, as you said in that in that in scene um, on on the King's Road when she wants the but the Stark girls punished for what they've done to Joffrey. Mm-hmm. Again, there's that it just links into the fact that she's trying to do this. She's doing this for a couple of reasons, and one of them is to protect her family. She feels that her boy can do no wrong, as it were, and she wants to make sure that he's protected at all costs. But as you said, there's also that political intrigue side of things that has groomed Joffrey to become this king that's, that can be controlled, much in a way that she wants to, that she would have liked to control Tomlin when he became of age mm-hmm. um, later in season four. But sadly for her, she can't dig her claws in him because Tywin already has. Yeah. And I think that's, that's it really. She's manipulative, and but she's also she's she's very intuitive. But it's just that overriding thought and 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 sympathy that I would have because she has the she values her connection to the family. Um, however, she just exhibits it in different ways. You could argue in the sense that she will protect them to the last hill, as it were, by doing whatever is necessary. Um, again, a great line that we'll come on to in, in the next uh, five episodes when she says, uh, in the Game of Thrones, you win or you die. Yeah. And, you just, and you just see that that's her, that's her demeanor, really. And she is, in a way, her father's son. If she was a, if she was a male, that would be the <laughs> ideal candidate yeah. for Tywin. Because I don't think, we'll come on to Tywin later, but I, I think that, that if she was a male, that would be the prioritized and preferred air because she's got all of the characteristics that are and that are mirroring mirrored to that of her father as it were yeah she's a she's a very complex character like it, it's very hard to pin her down as to who she is because like you said there are moments where she seems to be genuinely she seems to genuinely regret having had jamie push bran out the window and there are moments where it seems like she might actually have the right ideas about ruling. She's not uh, She's not cruel the way Joffrey is. Uh, well, she wouldn't be a cruel ruler the way Joffrey was. She was still pretty cruel to, to Sansa and, and, and all of that. But, you know, she's, she's, very, she's a very interesting character. And she's one that you can never really pin down. I mean, you generally know that. She's the character you're going against, you're, you're up against, which is why I sort of said she was evil. Um, but you never really are able to predict what what's next for her. 
I mean, obviously she's trying very hard to to have power vicariously through first probably Robert, but that <laughs> I'm pretty sure that would never work. Then Joffrey, and then as you said, then Tomlin, and she's in these sort of fights behind the scenes with Tywin and and later Marjorie and to to control these people and she never quite gets her way and it, it's a she's almost a tragic character in that sense that she can never she's never you know for as much power as she gets she can never get where she truly wants to be and that's her that I'm sure will be her ultimate downfall is that she is after power in such a way that will probably corrupt her to the point where she'll maybe be the next one to die who knows <laughs> again book readers are going guys come on guys come on you gotta it's right in front of you it's right in front of you <laughs> um but let's talk about jamie lannister jamie lannister her, her brother and lover uh he's he's another one um you know right right off the bat we learn about his history he's the kingslayer he killed the mad king uh, when when robert and neg ne- neg who's neg ned were uh sacking king's landing and I think the the relationship between Ned and Jamie is very interesting because it's almost because you know Ned is the honorable man, but he almost seems to not trust anyone who served a prior king. So he doesn't trust Jamie with good reason. Uh, he doesn't trust and he doesn't trust uh, Grandmaster Pycelle. That's that's Julian Glover's character, right? Pycelle. Yeah, that's yeah. correct. Yeah, um, <laughs> Julian Glover from, of course. Famously, uh, General Veers in Star Wars. Um, and a, Indiana Jones, Indiana on my Jones. head. Yeah, he was in James Bond as well. That guy, that guy, what a, let's just talk about <laughs> Julian Glover for a minute. That guy, what a career to have, have gone from Star Wars to Indiana Jones to James Bond. And now, you know, in his 70s, is playing, playing is, is on probably the most popular show on television right now, which is incredible. Um, so hats off to Julian Glover for an incredible career and an incredible life. Um, but he doesn't seem to trust them. Uh, and it seems to be really uh, with with Jamie. And so you almost wonder, does, does Ned kind of think that, that Jamie is, is just going to eventually stab Robert through the back if, if, the, if the Targaryens ever show up again? Does he just not trust Jamie? And does he... Is, and as we, I guess we we learn in in later seasons that he's not. It's kind of wrong to not trust him because, as we as we learned, you know, Jamie was in a horrible situation with the king there, and the, the king, not really, and you know, ultimately killing the king was probably the best thing to do. Um, so I'm just overall, what are what are your thoughts on Jamie Lannister? I kind of got into rambling there. Sorry about that. <laughs> well, I think from. Hindsight, I've got a completely different perspective now on Jamie, yeah. Car- Jamie Lannister in season one. Because when I initially watched it, I, I was with the majority of people who hadn't read the books and were watching this for the first time thinking, this guy's just a bit of a douchebag, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, he he's so arrogant in his, yeah. his abilities, uh, particularly his fighting uh, repertoire, as it were. And... I just think that his character, you could could be from the same shoes as Ned Stark and think to yourself, yeah, I don't trust this guy. If he's killed, as you said, if he's killed the Mad King, um, stabbed him through the back, literally and figuratively, it could happen again to Robert. So that's something which I'm sure Ned would never really trust. And I think it's understandable it's certainly understandable, but from the perspective that I have now, you, there, there are actually instances 
where Jamie is trying to tell the truth, particularly in that throne room scene at the beginning of the third episode, Lord Snow, when Ned first walks into that throne room and you see um, Jamie just knelt down and then he, he then stands up and they have their conversation. And he's trying to disclose the story about what actually happened, what were the authentic course of events that actually occurred. And Ned's having none of it, as you said. He's, he didn't trust this guy, um, and in part for good reason, seeing as he was the one that pushed Bran over that tower. Yep. But you, you, you can see that he's, try, he's, he's trying to impart to Ned the fact that I didn't have a choice. I say I tried to save the city. Mm-hmm. Um, if I didn't do that, everyone would have burned. Um, and, and again, it, it seems at this point, if, when you've only watched it for the first time, quite incredulous, and because of because of his personality and his attitude to to people and and, and what he's already done to the Starks, how he's already made them suffer. And you just think from that perspective that this guy, is, you know, I'm never, never, ever going to be endeared to this character. And yet, you, in a way, he's one that not only am I, do I feel great sympathy towards too, but by the end of season four, he's one that I'm rooting for. Yeah. And that's something that I don't think anyone would have expected at this time. Yeah. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if you had a similar interpretation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That was what I was trying to say before, uh, is, is that he, he starts out so... He seems like the the villain almost. You know, he's he's going to be the the bad guy. And so when they face when Ned and, and Jamie face off in in uh in the fifth episode, uh, the lion was that that was the lion and the wolf, right? Or the wolf? Yeah, and, the wolf and the lion. Wolf and the lion. I almost had it. Almost had it. Almost. <laughs> when they face off, it does kind of feel like it's it's the first time that you know the hero and the villain are are going to show down. It's like it's like Luke and Vader in Empire. You know, it's it's these big moments of of, of battle, but that we've been building up to. Uh, and then, it, as you said, in the later seasons, all of a sudden he becomes more sympathetic, and that's really what's what's very interesting is that in some ways the the, the villain house, quote unquote, uh, the Lannisters almost seem. In, in in a lot of ways more complex than the than the hero house as i mean you look at i mean look at jamie and 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 cersei and then compare them to ned and rob you know there's there's a very kind of ned and robert are, are the heroes they are out to do good and then in the then then jamie and, and cersei i mean while they are villains there's sort of a, a deeper sense of of you know are of what they've been through and they their motivations aren't always necessarily totally clear uh, mm. which which i thought was very very interesting so well, it seems as though as well jamie is is driven by the love he has for cersei yeah. more importantly that's you can argue at this point his overriding aspiration and his his ambition is to be with her and it's an under it's an underlying theme, a recurring theme throughout this series. But family, family mm-hmm. is so important to all of these characters, uh, regardless of what happens. You can see that Jamie cares about Tyrion and he cares about Cersei, um, and he always wants the respect from his father. And I think that's something which we all. Uh, we, we can all become emotionally attached to, as it were, the fact that they are doing good in some way. And in this instance, 
um, you know, in terms of you know, not necessarily incestuous relationship, but just the synergy he has with his his brother. Yeah. Um, you know, in that first episode at Winterfell, when um, you know uh, uh, Tyrion's in that pleasure house, and then you know Jamie's there. He says, "You know, don't leave me alone with these people. Or I want some good company." <laughs> and then afterwards, he says, "All right, just to speed it up, I've got a few more." Uh, prostitutes at the back so you know have fun so to speak and you can see that he does he does care for his brother and he cares for the family which again is one that is it's just this current this theme that's just underlying throughout this entire series and um and, and sometimes it can be it can be close like that other times it can be um completely disconnecting whether we when we look, for example, at the at the Greyjoys and and their mm-hmm. whole family situation, but yeah, I, I think that we should feel sympathy towards his character, and yeah. and it's just as you said, it's it's quite intriguing and and, and compelling as it is as it was to uh, to go back and watch these episodes again, like you said, uh, from a completely different perspective, and we see really the true complexity and in- intricacies of these characters. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And yeah, just going off that idea of Jamie and family, it's it's kind of ironic that the the one person who has almost sort of shed his his family heritage in the Lannisters is the only person that really cares about the Lannisters as people. You know, I mean, Jamie, he's he's part of the King's Guard, so he's not going to be able to continue the Lannister line, which is all that that Tywin worries about. You know, that's all that Tywin cares about. So Jamie's not able to do that, but yet he he is deeply in love with his sister and he's he has this wonderful relationship with Tyrion as well and so he's sort of caught between the two of them and i think we can safely say he loves both of them equally i mean granted in slightly different ways um and so he's kind of caught like that and that's sort of a, an interesting position for him to be in and that's sort of where he is in general he's sort of caught in the middle and i think that's sort of why he comes across as as overconfident as this is this self-absorbed guy because he's sort of caught in the middle he's caught in the middle of his family because he's you know he's being pulled he's you know he's got jamie he's got not jamie cersei and Tyrion, and then even tywin trying to convince him to come back to the family or trying to not maybe not even convince him but put him into a position where he has to come back to uh the family and continue the the lannister legacy uh but then he's also kind of caught in between this in between net between you know this net, what ned stark thinks of him and what he actually did where he's sort of stuck in the middle there and you know there's robert who he's sworn to protect protect but he clearly hates for what he does to to, to cersei and that's kind of jamie lannister's story and we we see that really come to the come to the surface when he talks to brienne uh later on in the series and, and he really uh, opens up and i think that's sort of the turning point where we also realize oh so there is more to jamie lannister and he does he is a bit of a sympathetic character speaking but speaking trans transitioning from a sympathetic character to a really unsympathetic character let's talk about joffrey king joffrey or well at this point still prince joffrey yeah, he's a he's a he's a he's a little shit. <laughs> I don't think there's a better way to put that than than that. Uh, what what were your <laughs> thoughts on on Joffrey in these in these first couple episodes? Yeah, Joffrey. Um, I mean, at this stage, he's not half as yes. cruel and wicked as he w- as we will later see in in the second half of this season and really leading up until his death in 
at the beginning of season four. Spoilers, there we go. Uh, this is a spoiler <laughs> podcast yeah. for the TV show anyway. Um, but it's, in a way, I could also construe it as being even worse because he really puts on this facade that he cares for Sansa. Yeah. Um, that he really wants to build this close relationship. It's, it's that first image I remember when you see all of the king's congregation arriving at Winterfell and you see him there on his horse um, with that smile at Sansa and you, and, you, and you think to yourself the usual cliche in TV shows and movies that, uh, oh, well, this guy, this guy must be the, the golden... The golden prince, as it were, the nice, benign character who's gonna uh, what's the word? I guess takes takes Sansa off her feet, as it were, and and just they're gonna go and live happily ever after. And it's just the complete opposite to that. Um, he really just doesn't. He he just cares about himself, really, um, and he's just waiting for himself to become king. As you said, he has these grandiose visions, as it were, <laughs> of enacting these charters to bring the northerners or i should say to submit the northerners to their needs by forcing them to send 10,000 men to become members of the royal guard um, and he would increase their taxes and he just doesn't think it's straight that's the, that's the thing he's, he's, he's delusional in that respect um and it, it, you just think to yourself Please, please, don't become king. And what a shock, he is the next in <laughs> he line. Is, he is. Uh, although, although an illegitimate heir, we might have to add as well, which also just makes it that much worse, doesn't it? The fact that he's not even the rightful heir to the throne. He's an illegitimate child of Jamie and Cersei Lannister. Um, and really, that's, that, that's the symbol. He is the symbol, you could argue, of the... The, just the unscrupulous nature of the relationship of um, of Jamie and, and Cersei, um, and and you could kind of see that when you were watching it in season one, yeah, that he's got personality traits from both of these characters. They're arrogant, they're manipulative, they're self-absorbed, and you're thinking to yourself, "Oh my goodness me, please, someone get rid of this kid!" Like uh, he's, he doesn't. He should never be king. He's not this benign, <laughs> jolly fellow who, when we contrast him to Robert Baratheon. Well, um, and, that, and that's something which you would think as well, maybe would become obvious as to why he's not the rightful heir. But anyway, yeah, it's, it's, in terms of his personality, I just think that, you know, he was, he was a, he, if you want to put a quote-unquote villain on someone, then Joffrey yeah. is a man oh, at this yeah. point. And... It's, to be honest, though, I don't. There's no uh, the fact that we could say, well, we we detest Joffrey, as it were. That's nothing to uh, dampen the, the the role of the actor and contribute oh, to this. Yeah. Because actually, I think the performance was Jack absolutely Gleason. exceptional. And I think that you need that. You need. He's one of those villains that, in a way, you love to hate. Yeah. Um, or as much as we were, you know, wanting like, oh gosh, surely this guy can't be on the throne, <laughs> and we don't, we you know, please get rid of him. But ultimately, that's just testament to how, what a great performance that um, I mean, Jack Gleason is, who who performs him, uh, performs the character of Joffrey was, which is absolutely exceptional. But what did you make of Joffrey yeah. Dominic yourself well, and and his whole storyline? Well, you mentioned you know he seems to take the worst qualities from from Jaime and Cersei, and I absolutely agree with that. But I also think he he kind of takes the worst qualities from Robert Baratheon as well. 
I, I mean, you don't get the sense that Robert and, and Joffrey spend too much time together, but you, I, I bet Robert had cert, a certain amount of, of influence on him because, you know, he says Joffrey's whole thing is, you know, he wants to tax the North and he wants to take their bannermen and, and make them into this, this royal army. And, you know, that almost seems eerily similar to kind of what, what Robert wants to do with Daenerys. I mean, he wants her dead. He wants to kill this, at, at this point, innocent young woman who's pregnant, basically. He, he wants her assassinated. And and so there's some eerie similarities between that and what Joffrey is saying about what he wants to do to the North. So Joffrey seems to be, he seems to have taken all of the worst qualities from all of these characters. And, you know, we, we talk about Robert having sort of this kind of jovial jokingness to him but we we kind of see that in joffrey as well where he think where he thinks he can because he's king he can do whatever he wants and and just be funny and to him funny is torturing people whereas to to robert it's uh joking about being fat and so you kind of get this stuck you kind of get this 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 horrible amalgamation of all the worst qualities in everybody and you put them into one character and and that is king joffrey and yeah in season four, episode two, that'll be a great one to talk about. Uh, I think a lot of people felt a, a lot of res- relief when when that happened. Was the the purple wedding? I think is uh, is what we call it. Well, let's let's stick with the with with the kids now, and let's let's talk a bit about the Stark children. Let's talk about let's start with Sansa because Sansa's story arc is is so fascinating, and and you know we we talked about the season five trailer. We didn't really talk about uh, her little bit in there. Um, but her story over, you know, seasons one to three, maybe even the first half of four, you know, she's very much this tortured character. I mean, you know, in these first episodes, she's, uh, you know, she, she, she wants to be queen. She wants to be married to Joffrey. That's, I think that's what she says. She, she says, that's all she's ever wanted. And she sort of starts to get that. And she kind of realizes it's not all it's cracked up to be because Joffrey is this, you know, again, he's horrible. He's the villain. And then she kind of winds up in this just tortured, tortured scenario for the next two and a half seasons. And I think when we see her in season five, she's going to be an absolute powerhouse. I think it's going to be fascinating to see what happens to her. Um, so what were, what was your take on, on Sansa in these first couple episodes? Oh, at the start, I thought she was an annoying brat, to be honest. <laughs> Which sounds quite crude, but yeah. it was it was the typical, the the quintessential spoiled child really who had so much in the world it was part of this rich powerful family and all she really cared about was the selfish motivations of of marrying prince joffrey who to everyone else was um just this this horrible human being and yet somehow she would find it within her heart to be actually seduced by his character, as it were. And that didn't help either. I think one of the scenes in particular that highlights this fact is in the second episode with that scene between Joffrey, Sansa, Arya, and the butcher's boy. Yeah. And and the fact that Sansa won't stick up for her sister. She's, she, she's left in a predicament there, I will admit. But mm. that doesn't help the audience become loved to her character as it were to to make her character likable because we're talking about family here in this theme 
ultimately you should be choosing family um, and protecting them. And that's something that we, we see, to be fair to them, we see the Lannisters do that to the highest degree, yes. particularly Jamie. And, then, and yet Sansa wouldn't even do that for her younger sister. And it's something that at the time you find very hard to deal with. But as you said, you do feel so sorry for her for what's to come. That It's almost as though you know, karma, um, it's be quite crude here, it's almost like karma's a bitch, so to speak, yeah. in, the, in the sense that um, she has just got, uh, she she just gets the most traumatic. She has to undergo this most traumatic experience in the next couple of in the next two or three seasons here, and you just you just have you can't not feel sorry for her character um, and and the hell that she has to go through, which really starts from episode seven onwards. Really, episode seven eight onwards. Once Ned's been arrested, that's when her journey, her path, just suddenly changes. But then you could say that the experiences that she will glean from that, as you said, will just help create this ultimate master manipulator and, and powerhouse, as it were. And so we can see her grow as a character. But yeah, what did, what did you make of Sansa and Dominic? Did you feel yeah. the she was a bit of a, a spoiled brat as well. <laughs> yeah, well, absolutely. At the beginning, she definitely came across that way. She she definitely came across as, as the spoiled brat, brat, which makes her story arc all the more interesting is to see where she starts. And and yeah, she, she wants to be queen. That's all she really wants. And you mentioned that scene where she gets pulled in front of, in front of the king and they have to talk about the, the whole butcher boy uh, fight incident. And... You know, it, again, it, sort of we were talking about Robert being sort of the safety blanket for the Starks and the and the and the and the audience, really. And I, I bet if she had have told the truth, she would have gotten away with it. Uh, you know, I don't think that Cersei would have been able to really torment her as, as much as she later becomes able to once Ned and Robert are gone. Um, but she's still in this position where she wants to be king and or she wants she wants to be king. Ooh, that would be an interesting story. Uh, she wants to be queen. And, uh, and instead, uh, and so she, she, she's driven. She's almost, she's almost like Cersei in that way. She's, she wants power. And so she's willing to, to, to do what it takes. And in this case, it's, it's lying and, and sacrificing her dire wolf and, and getting her sister in trouble and, and all of these, these, these things like that. And again, that makes her seem like a, like a total brat at this point because she is 14 years old sort of thing. And, and so, yeah, absolutely. This, this, these episodes really show her beginning story. And as I mentioned, uh, season five, I think, is where things are going to be, really turn around for her. Because just her final scene in season four was shot so differently. And, and, and Sophie Turner, who plays her, uh, was standing completely differently. She was standing up straight. You know, we, it, it, was, uh, it was a very interesting scene, a very uh, tantalizing for what's to come uh, in the future. But let's let's talk about Arya because she's she's sort of she's well let's be honest she's everybody's favorite she's or she's a lot of people's favorite um she's the you know the the girl who doesn't want to be into quote unquote girly things and is instead into to sword fighting and and all of this this, this interesting stuff and it's kind of cool that that Ned and and John and, and and people like that are are sort of able to indulge her somewhat although not totally I mean Ned still says that she's going to marry a lord and have have babies which she doesn't really seem to be uh interested in she seems more interested in fighting uh but she of course she gets great water dancing lessons with uh Sirio Forel uh, another one of her favorite characters <laughs> and uh, and 
her her story is, is at the beginning is is really the polar opposite of Sansa's, you know, and I think that's part of the reason Sansa came across as so bratty in these episodes is because while all all of her stuff is going on, Arya's on this completely different adventure where she is learning how to sword fight and she's becoming a warrior, and there's Sansa just kind of trying to fall in love with this horrible little child for power, whereas Arya's off creating her own power by learning how to sword fight and, and all that stuff. So uh, what was your take on, on Arya? Oh, I loved Arya. She, yeah. she is one of my favorite characters as well, along with pretty much all of viewers of this show, really. I think there's just something about her that we should and, and, and we are really endeared to. I think that, as you said, the fact she doesn't want to follow the the usual, the archetypal trajectory of of females in this period which is as you said the the traditional outlook of marrying a high lord and having children and and being there solely for the family she doesn't doesn't want any of that she wants to be a warrior yeah and i think that's something which i i i like the fact that characters such as Jon snow and ned stark they don't try and and impede that they try and help it. They endorse it, mm-hmm. you know, which is obviously witnessed by Jon Snow actually uh, bestowing that sword to Arya, donating it to her as a yeah. gift, the the sword that is later na- named Needle. Uh, Ned Stark, not only does he not confiscate the sword, he then actually helps her by you know, instituting those dance lessons with the Master Sirio. Um, and I just think that Really, she she is so far out of her. She's so she's so more mature than her age would would, would represent. To be honest, the mm-hmm. fact that she is still only a youngster at this point, um, and you know, we see in that first episode so many instances of the warrior aspect. She's the one who shoots the arrow while Bran's practicing yeah. and hits the bullseye. <laughs> You've then got the moment when. She sneaks aboard that cart to get a view of the king's congregation dressed with this warrior helmet on, on her head. Um, and as you said, she, that's what she wants in her life. Yeah. And, and, she, and also it's the way she treats other characters. The fact that even though she is this high lady, she doesn't want to be labeled as that. Yeah. She'll, be, she'll readily practice with the butcher's boy. And just because he's at the lower social spectrum of the of the uh, social class, as it were. She doesn't care about that. Yeah. She just wants to practice. She just wants to learn. Um, and she'll talk and interact with any other characters. And she and you feel so sorry for her character when she is so remorseful and repentant about what eventually happens to him when he gets murdered by the, by by the, the hound. hound. Yeah. And and you can just see that vengeance is, is certainly a driving factor for Arya. She will not readily forgive injustice a similar way as we'll later see with Daenerys Targaryen, actually. I think there's a lot of parallels between Arya and Daenerys, actually, which mm-hmm. um, which I'm sure we, we, we will notice more as the series progresses. But I think that, yeah, her character is is certainly one where we, we, we do become so endeared to it. She's just exuberant, lively, um, she's boisterous, fierce, and those are the characteristics that, as you said, you wouldn't expect in a typical female character. And I think there's a lot of similarities as well to her mother in that respect as well, mm-hmm. um, which I think 
go down well with many audience members. But yeah, what did you make of Arya? Yeah, Nick, what did you make of her character? Well, yeah, I, I'm I'm with you and and a lot of the audience. She's she's definitely one of my favorite characters, and I really like what you said there about how she she's willing to work with anyone. She doesn't look down on anybody based on on class or anything like that. Uh, you know, we we see a lot of uh, in the Lannisters, especially with with Cersei and and Jaime, or not Jaime, uh, Joffrey. I keep I, why am I getting all the Lannisters confused in my mind? All their names are slightly are just a little too similar. <laughs> Cersei, Jaime, and Joffrey. All the time. Yeah, yeah, it's a little it's a little too close. Um, but you know, they clearly are not worried at all with what the uh, peasants think. I mean, you hear in our our opening Tywin with his uh with his great line. Uh, about the, uh, the the lion doesn't concern himself with the opinions of the sheep, so uh, so it's very interesting to see her uh, take uh, to to be willing to basically be with anyone to to hang out with anyone, and it's a it's a trait we'll see later on with with Marjorie Tyrell, uh, where she she's able to do it while still in the form of a uh, I don't want as a as a as a potential royal, whereas uh, whereas Arya is still I mean she's quite powerful but she's still just a high lady or high lord or however you want to uh however you want to phrase it uh but yeah she she was a great character and and uh you know a very interesting uh, another one of these characters all of these characters have such such interesting arcs and it's so interesting to look at them in the beginning and that's what's so fascinating about these first five episodes and going back and looking at them again is you see just how much these characters have have changed and what they've gone through and I mean, just with the Stark children alone, the the beheading of Ned when we get to that is a is a huge turning point for for all of them, and we see how they how they adjust and and really how how they were before such an event really affects what they become after it. I mean, you know, Sansa, who was just interested in becoming queen, uh, sort of goes into this sort of depression, whereas Arya, who was who was interested in fighting and, and all this stuff. She gets into this thing where she wants to kill everybody. She wants revenge. She has her list of, you know, Joffrey, Cersei, the Hound, Illyn Payne, all these people that she wants to kill uh, for what they've done to her and her family. Uh, well, let's get into Bran. He's, he's sort of the, the catalyst for everything that happens uh, in the, in the first couple episodes here with his, his climbing. Uh, and of course he, he spots what happens with, between uh, Jamie and Lan- uh, Jamie and Jamie and Lannister, Jamie and Cersei, uh, yeah, names are names are tough, um, and, and of course he gets pushed out the window and winds up as as a well as a cripple, and his you know it was very interesting to watch his story of you know going through really everybody else's reaction to it and him sort of having to learn to to deal with this situation and again looking at where he winds up in in season four where you know he still wants to be able to walk i mean that's what he says when he finally meets the three-eyed raven is he thinks he'll be able to walk again but really he he does kind of come to to come to terms with it and that's very interesting and of course it's it's Tyrion that helps him with that and we'll get into Tyrion in just a second but uh, i'm curious for your thoughts on bran on Again, Bran is another one of those characters that you can't not love. I don't think he—he he is. Well, I think he's the youngest. I would say, isn't he? Well, this, he's, no, there's, oh, uh, no, there's no, 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 no. Sorry, he's not the youngest. Uh, that's um, um, oh goodness me, I've Rickon. forgotten his name now. Rick, that's him. <laughs> Rick's the youngest, but uh, but we don't we don't really see enough of Rick to be honest. Yeah, so, we'll see him. Um, we'll he's, see he's, he's the youngest of the characters that we really get to know. I, mm-hmm. I, I mean to say, in the Stark family, yeah. and I, again, it's it's. A similar, similarly correlated to Arya, 
in their motivations. He wants to be at the start this warrior. He loves to climb. He wants to be good at fighting, but it's just not his. It's just not his natural. Um, that's that's not where his natural talent lies, though. And I think that's on evidence right at the start, where we see Arya is able to hit the bullseye, and yet Bran he has a number of attempts at it and still can't hit the bullseye. Mm-hmm. Um, He's good at climbing, but then he loses, obviously, the use of his legs. Um, and that, for him, at, at, at least in these five episodes, is something that he finds extremely difficult to get over. He, he says lines such as, I'd rather be dead. He doesn't want to be a cripple. He hates this idea. What can I do now? What is my life all about? Um, and it's something that he has to deal with and learn to actually uh, to, to learn to deal with which, again, is something that you, you have to admire about his character. And as you said, Tyrion's really the one that helps him get on the right path where he can ride horseback. Um, but, again, you, you, you can't not feel sympathetic to him, though, yeah. that he's, he, he, he went in his coma and then he wakes up um, and not only can he not walk, but his mum and dad aren't there. He's, yeah. And he got Rob. Rob's busy running the place now so he doesn't get to see much of him he only sees Fionn who <laughs> again I I don't understand even in this season if we come on to him I just I just despise his character I mean I'm talking about Joffrey but even now I, I when I look back at season one Fionn Greyjoy I'm just thinking I never I never really liked his character and <laughs> I never really got why the Starks Kept him around, but yeah. anyway, anyway, that's that's another yeah, another story we'll, we'll for another really, day. Yeah, we'll but really get into Theon Brand, next no, week. Think the, oh, sorry, what were you going to say? I was right? just going to say we'll really get into Theon next week. Uh, yeah, exactly. I'd, I'd say so as well. Um, in terms of Brand, though, yeah, I do think that his character he already goes through so much. Really, his journey has progressed, and I think that we're talking about key moments here. Well, that moment where he loses his legs, uh, where he, he he is unable to use his legs again, is one which completely adjusts his motivations going yeah. forward and and obviously as you said he's trying to find his way to actually get his legs to work again and and then we and then it's with the three-eyed raven and that vision that we begin to see there's so much more to brand so much uh so much complexity surrounding it that actually he's got a far bigger role to play than some of the stark children um, and at the time, no one really noticed it. But what did you make of Bran briefly, Dominic? Yeah, yeah, I, I'm with you uh, entirely. It was, it's a, sort of a tragic beginning to his arc because we, you know, he, he loses the ability to walk, and and that's a that's incredibly difficult for for anybody. And and he, he really has this this horrible beginning. But I think it's it's this beginning that sort of gives him the courage and the the ability to go on his later journey to to to, to go with Jojen Reed and and to go find the three-eyed raven to go beyond the wall do all these incredible things um that we that he goes on to do and that he will do um though not in season 5 we'll have to wait for season 6 to see what he does next um and uh and there's there's just so much uh, so much interesting uh going on with Bran and and uh and yeah I think uh, I think we should we should move on and uh, and talk quickly about uh, about Cat. Uh, she's she's got a she's got a, a, an interesting story because you know on the one hand she's she's the mother and she's very she's very lovable, but then there's her relationship with John, 
and and that's where you really see a, a very different side of her. So I, I'm interested in your take on, on, on Lady Catelyn Stark. Yeah, I think Lady Catelyn Stark is the the archetypal mother that, that people would really want in their lives. She's strong-willed and she really, really does care and 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 desires to protect her family. She's there with Bran after he suffers that horrific injury uh, for three three weeks or something ridiculous. I, I, I might have got it a little bit wrong, but um, I do think that there are just her her character is absolutely fascinating, and I really really do think that as a mother, she is the she is the ideal candidate to be leading these these northern children as it were because there's a strength that lies in her mm-hmm. she's fierce she's protective and, and she's, they're all strong elements that that really are needed when you have people like you know rob stark and um and ned stark of course and just the north in general um and there's and you can see why ned would be uh, would be fond oh, to, yes. towards those type of qualities, really. Uh, she is strong-willed. Immediately, as soon as she hears that the Lannisters are seemingly behind the attack, she's straight there to King's Landing saying, right, I've got to do this. I mm-hmm. I can't go, right, I'll take... She, did, she wants to go on her own, first of all. She didn't even want to take a bodyguard. Um, it was only with some push. It wasn't a... a, a or convincing, it took a bit of convincing, I should say, from her um from her advisors as it were um, that she actually took someone along with him uh t- took someone along with her and then later we see when she apprehends Tyrion at that uh, at that um, cavern as it were um and she's straight there right I'm going to implement my own justice on what's happened to my son here and you can you cannot you can only admire that to be honest in her character that she is so strong-willed and protective of her family um that she would be she would be prepared to do that so i think that yeah cat is is such a strong um and and respected character and i think she should be as well because she is the true northerner protecting these children the only quality that i find difficult to accept is her soured relationship yeah. with Jon Snow, which I can understand. I can completely understand from her perspective, but it's just hard for us as the audience members because, as we'll get on to soon, I think Jon Snow is is equally, with Arya and Tyrion, the most uh, res- yeah. reverenced characters on this show. Oh, but yeah. anyway, Dominic, what did you make of, of Catelyn Stark yourself? Oh, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, she, she definitely possesses a lot of great qualities, uh, in in the the way she she cares for Bran, the way she is a, you know she's you know like you said she's a true northern women, woman and 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 she's very cunning. I mean that there's that great scene in the in the tavern and the the inn I guess uh, where she gets everybody to to arrest Tyrion, and and that was really well well done and and you know she's smart and she's putting together all the pieces. Granted, uh, some of these pieces are are pieces that are, are sent specifically to her, but she's able. To, you know, again, she doesn't fall into some of these more uh, typical uh, women roles that that we expect in some of these uh, fantasy and, and and stories like that. Uh, and and I think that was I think that's really well done. Again, her relationship with John is it's just uh, it is the part that really makes you kind of wonder uh, about her. It, it, you know, it, it's. It's sort of a product, I guess, of the medieval time period where, 
you know, uh, the concept of having a, a bastard son was not only a disgrace on the on the man, but it was a disgrace on on his wife, which is uh, which is so bizarre uh, by modern standards, where we just really blame the blame the man. Um, but in the medieval times, it was it was a it was bad for bad for the the wife as well, which is again wrong. But it it, it makes her it's understandable in the sense of the story. But at the same time, you think you think about how she is with Bran and with 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 Rob and all these other characters, and you think she'd be able to do that with 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 John. And we get a sense that she is able to do that a little bit um, from stories that she tells later on in the series, and we'll get to those when we get to those. Um, the other thing about her is she's a bit too impulsive. You know, the idea of, of arresting Tyrion. Uh, I mean, really, that's one of the things that really kicks off the war. Um, you know, it's, it puts puts Ned and Jamie in a, in a fight together. Uh, it's a it's a you know, she she's on the one hand, she's very she's a very strong character. On the other hand, she keeps doing things where you're like, no, don't do that. That's a bad idea. That could have really bad uh, implications later on in the story. And, and as we see, they, they do turn out to. But let's talk a bit about Jon Snow quickly. Uh, uh, well, Jon is, a, you know, he's another one of the fan favorites, as you mentioned. Uh, he goes to the wall, uh, understandably so. I mean, he's been an outsider in Winterfell the whole time, even though that's his home. And you'd really think that, uh, you know, Theon and John might have been able to relate a little bit, but it didn't seem we'd never really get that sense because uh, Theon is kind of with Rob and making fun of John and, and, and his hair and, and all that. But he goes to the wall in search of something that something better. And it's it's really Tyrion who uh, who sort of convinces him to, to stay and really helps him. Uh, but I, I'm curious on your take on on Jon Snow. Yeah, he's certainly an enigma. One of the most compelling characters right mm. from the start. And that is really fueled by the fact that he is this bastard son of Ned Stark. And there's the mystery surrounding who is his mother, which yeah. still remains to be answered. R plus L equals certainly J? One... Sorry? <laughs> R plus L equals J? Well, I know. <laughs> yeah, well, it will certainly be interesting, won't it, yeah. to, to find out who this person is. Mysterious... White. female character could Willow. be yeah but I, I i do think that in general i again he's he's he, he and T Tyrion do have similar uh parallels in their storyline that they're both in a way outsiders to their families mm -hmm. um even though they both have the blood of their, their father, father yeah. of the house don't they and it's something which again you immediately draw to because you feel that they've been unfairly unjustly persecuted because of their blood lineage or um, by the fact that you know, they look different or, um, you know, there's just something that makes them an outsider. And the aspect for, for Tyrion, as we'll get on to, is the fact that um, he is a dwarf and, and the fact that um, his mother, he seemingly had, his mother had died at birth, which was his fault. Uh, but for John, though, it's the fact that for Cat, she finds it hard to accept that Ned brought back a child during yeah. the wars, even though they were married. That was Cat and Ned were married at the time. And then he brought another woman's child with, back home. And it's something that when we talk about Cat, she fears Ned will do again yeah. when she goes with, uh, when he goes with Rob to uh, become hand of the king for this, uh, 
for West uh, for the Seven Kingdoms of Westeros. But I do think that for John, his his storyline and complexion, you always feel that he is the most skilled fighter at at the war at when the he war. goes there and. And again, we talk about family connections. Benjamin Stark is another character yeah. who really helps him on that path, someone who he can relate to. And poor John, he, he loses both Tyrion and Benjamin. Yeah. <laughs> Tyrion leaves at episode three, and then Benjamin leaves the ep- uh, around about that same time as well when he goes acro- um, across the wall. And again, he's left really on his own, and it takes someone like Sam Tarly, who I'm sure we'll get into uh, a little bit later in the in in our my in favorite our character, yeah, <laughs> yeah, in our in, in these shows here, yeah. Um, it takes his character really to have, as you, as you were saying, that uh, King Robert was like a safety belt or a, a safety net for Ned. Sam's a similar way for John. They need each other really, yeah. And that's something which we all fear that. Uh, after episode three, John's lost Benjamin. He's lost Tyrion. He's got at that time Gren and Pip, who aren't at all his friends. They are extremely jealous and envious of his talents. Mm-hmm. Um, and Alistair Fawn, the co- uh, one of the Lord Commanders, he's he's constantly on his back. Um, and so you're thinking, oh my goodness me, what is John doing here? Go back, go back home. <laughs> you don't want to go to the wall, yeah, uh, you know, where it's full of rapists and and, uh, and criminals. But he stays, and he really becomes one of the most determined, resolute characters in this series. So for me, in the first five episodes, I this, this his story is so complicated and, and complex. Yeah, it's it's so compelling as well. So what what did you make of Jon Snow then, Dominic? Yeah, Jon really goes through a, a journey in those first five episodes alone because, you know, he feels like a total outsider in Winterfell. And he goes – so he goes to the Wall where all of a sudden, you know, he feels like he should be – well, I mean, you know, like you said, he is the best fighter at the Wall. There, there's no doubt about that, at least among the new recruits. And – he and so he feels like he should be advancing faster, um, but he doesn't understand sort of the culture of the wall, and it takes Benjen and, and Tyrion to sort of explain that to him. And I heard Kit, Kit Harrington talking about this that you know for the first four seasons, you know, John kept being uh, pulled towards these you know strong father figure type characters, whether it was Ned or Benjen, even Tyrion to a certain extent, and, and Mormont uh, at the wall, and Mance Raider beyond the wall, and. And all of these people that really wanted to to help him and trust him and, and groom him into being sort of their successor in in some ways, not so much Ned, but uh, you know the other characters uh, like Benjamin and Mance Raider and, and all that. And the, you know, season five will be a little bit different, and, and John will sort of come into his own. Uh, but we really kind of see that in these first couple of episodes, where he he is has to to learn what it takes to be at the wall and. Uh, like you, you mentioned Sam, and Sam's one of my favorite characters. And again, we'll get him get into his story in in, in a later episode. Um, but you know, to see John, you know, sort of take him take him under his wing, and you know, he's threatening the other characters if they're if they're going to be be uh, uh, mean to Sam and, and all that stuff. So it, you really see that Sam is really what helps push John into becoming a true man of the Night's Watch, which is you know what he needs to do, what he needs to be. Uh, well, let's get into let's get into Tyrion Lannister here. Uh, Tyrion, he's, he's sort of the character that transcends sort of all the different locations 
of uh, these first five episodes. He's really on the move, and you know he is he is he's another one of those characters uh, who is you know again fan favorite. And and so let, let's just get your take on him right away. What what were your thoughts on Tyrion Lannister? Tyrion Lannister again, one of those fan favorites, really, wasn't he? It's just the way he was so. He was confident and nonchalant, but not in an arrogant way, yeah. not in the same way that Jamie Lannister was. He recognized he had flaws. He recognized that he was, you know, he was a dwarf and, and that was, uh, equitable to being a bastard son, as it were, or a cripple. Um, in, the, in the eyes of one's father. And it's just something that he's had to grow up with. The fact that, as I said, similar to John, he's been ostracized since he was a youngster, mm-hmm. and yet he's been able to still, um, you know, in spite of the environment around him, in spite of his upbringing, he's still this benevolent, funny, comedic, witty character, which we all love. Um, and that scene I'll always remember is in the, in the second episode when uh, he wakes up in the stables and then he slaps <laughs> t- uh, he slaps Joffrey yeah. around a couple of times <laughs> in the face and everyone's like yeah go on Tyrion but it has even greater significance when we know what Joffrey later does yes. and, and he still hits him after that in yep. season two which is great um, he, he says he says what it is though isn't it he? he's forthright he's blunt and he's honest and I think it's the sincerity that a lot of people can become endeared to because you see the characters such as Cersei, uh, the spider. Um, we haven't even got into the council yet. Oh, yeah. but, um, sorry. I say, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I'm, I'm agreeing with you. <laughs> oh, yeah, I was going to say, yeah, and the spider and, and Lord Baelish, they're all very manipulative. They're cunning. And you never really want to believe what they have to say because there's usually a double meaning behind it. Whereas Tyrion's not like that. He'll, he'll say it how it is. He says, mm-hmm. for example, when you said he's, he's really tutoring John and um, educating him about life on the wall, he says the fact that these are the type of people you'll have to be working with, whether it's you know someone who is a, a rapist or someone who's uh, stolen, even if it's someone who's stolen food, someone who's murdered, slaughtered people. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people choose castration. Um, most people choose that <laughs> over going to the wall. So you know, it's being forthright and blunt about it. And it's fair though, and and it's, it, I think it's, it's it's that side that we like. But as I said, it's also the comedic side when he has a bit of fun with uh, Yoren, for example, um, in that scene just before Benjamin comes in, and it's having jokes about wine and Dornish women, and yeah. saying, you know, well, how many can you have you slept with, and all of this, and it's and it's that type of um, the type of wittiness towards his demeanour. Um, that again we can really become attached to as viewers and say yeah we, we, we're rooting for you Tyrion and then sadly he gets captured at the end of episode 4 because he's wrongly accused for the murder yeah. or the attempted <laughs> murder I should say of Bran Stark um, and you just want and, and, and it's the same situation here that will befall him in season 4 where he is such a lovable character he does all of these good things and yet somehow he ends up getting a brunt of a lot of this uh, a lot of this wrongdoing, which again just I think adds to the fact that people are more endeared to the character because he is having to uh, he has having to ride this storm of injustice really that has befallen upon him, whether it's being accused of murdering 
Bran Stark, or attempting to murder Bran Stark, or later accused of murdering Joffrey, and it's just everything for Tyrion. Uh, just got, in, in some ways it gets better, but it just it, it, it then just falls again. It falls down to uh, it just plummets down to the worst um, worst levels really that you could even imagine. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly at the end of season two, when he gets struck down by one of those uh, soldiers in the in the Battle of Blackwater. Yeah. But anyhow. Um, over to you, Dominic. What, what did you make of Tyrion in these episodes? Yeah, I think Tyrion is is one of the most popular characters because he is sort of a, an amalgamation of of sort of the the most interest or some some of our favorite parts of other characters. So you have sort of the confident swagger of Jaime, you have sort of the the drunkenness of Robert, and the integrity of Ned, and it's all put into this one character who nobody takes seriously because he's a dwarf, and and that's that's what's really interesting about Tyrion is. I mean, we heard in the trailer there, you know, he says he'll never sit on the Iron Throne, but you could bet he'd probably be a decent king. He he wouldn't be a he wouldn't be a, a cruel king. He wouldn't be like Joffrey. He wouldn't be the mad king, and he wouldn't be a, a drunken fool like Robert either. He he would have been probably a, a good king, but he's he's ignored because of his physical uh, disability, I guess, um, which he has then sort of turned into, you know, his lifestyle of. To, you know, being the smart one and being, you know, the opposite of, of what Jamie is. And, and yeah, like you said, he goes to the wall and, you know, he learns about everything about all these, uh, all these other potential men of the night's watch. And he passes that information on to John and sort of tells him, you know, he's, he's wise in that way. He almost presents himself more as a father figure than we ever really saw Ned be to John. I mean, we got a little bit of Ned as a father figure, uh, right before they left. Where uh, where Ned told him that he may not have his name, but he, he does have his blood, um, and and so, he, uh, but Tyrion is really the one who's there to help him out and really help him through some of the more difficult parts of of being in the Night's Watch of, or of adjusting to being in the Night's Watch, and like you said, he's the one who's willing to stand up to Joffrey, and then uh, you know when he gets captured, he almost takes it in stride. I mean, you know, he's he's willing to you know he figures out where they're going and. Uh, you know, he, but he never, you know, he doesn't try to run. He sort of realizes that that would never work. He's he's always trying to figure out what will eventually be his way out. And but he's not rash. He doesn't do anything stupid. And uh, that's I, that again. It comes down to why he's one of the most favorite, most most popular characters on the series. All right. Well, let's uh, let's transition to the east and and wrap things up by talking about Daenerys Targaryen uh, and and her brother. Uh, Viserys uh, a little bit and and really where she starts off and where she she ends up at the end of season four I mean watching these episodes and then going to the IMAX screening her character arc really more than anybody else's is the most sort of drastic from where she was of you know really at the the end of episode one she gets raped basically uh, to being you know the queen of of everything and so I'm, I'm curious uh, what was your take on on Danny and and re- and her relationship with her brother as well, which was a disturbing one to say the least. It was incredibly disturbing, to be honest, wasn't it? You yeah. see that when we f- their first appearance at Pentos uh, across the narrow sea, mm-hmm. you have the last two surviving Targaryens, which is Viserys and and Daenerys of the House Targaryen. Um, I think it's Master Illyrio. I, yeah, I, I, Illyrio, I believe yeah. is the person who who is uh, is, is keeping shelter for these two children. And as you said, um, immediately you have that scene where she's stark naked right in front of him and he's examining her, as it were, 
yeah. to see whether she is uh, respectable enough to be basically sold into slavery, you could argue, in the yeah. sense that she's just being delivered to this Carl Drogo who who will marry her, but he doesn't expect her to actually have any power or do anything rather than just sit there while while he takes Drogo's 40,000 force um, to Westeros. That's his mm-hmm. aim. His primary ambition is to seize the Iron Throne, and he says, it, quote here, would let all 40,000 men and horses fuck you if that's what it took. Yeah. So really, he doesn't care about Daenerys at all. But what I like is the way the dynamic of their relationship really evolves throughout this yeah. particular story arc. And that it actually switches from Viserys being this dominant figure who's in control and, and seems to be ordering uh, Danny around. And by the time, even by, I would say, episode four, um, that has completely switched. And the feud really intensifies between Viserys and Daenerys. But yeah. Daenerys is coming out on top now. Um, and that's symbolic, you could argue, um, or literally, uh, when she's on top of Khal Drogo. <laughs> and, um, and she's able to, once she begins to not necessarily control Khal Drogo, but she's no longer a slave to him, that they're on a more equal footing, that's when she begins to stand up to her brother. And, um, and again, that intensifies when she becomes fertile with the, the child of the great stallion, as it were. Another great scene... Um, in that episode, Lord Snow, uh, when she stops the, yeah. the 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 whole company and she walks into the field and Viserys runs in with, or he's, he strolls in, strides in with his horse and he says, "You dare to give commands to me?" He draws the blade on his sister and then one of the Dothraki just has his rope and just wields it so it grabs um, Viserys's neck and just holds him there in a chokehold and it's yeah. just. That's a great, great scene. And again, it just illustrates to the audience the power that, uh, that the Khaleesi then has within her grasp. And I think by the end of episode four, it becomes clear that when he tries to rape her again and he says, now you've awoken the dragon and she smacks him in the head with this chain, mm-hmm. that that's it. He's gone. By that point, you can see the foreshadows uh, that it's really foreshadowing his fate. Yeah, um, and he's he's not gonna ha- he's not gonna hang around for long. Yeah. He's not um, gonna sit on the Iron Throne. No, exactly. And the last point I just wanted to quickly raise before I quickly hand over to you is the uh, fact that we can tell that she is the legitimate heir of the dragon, as it were. Yeah. I mean, he is part of House Targaryen, Viserys, but he's he he can't deal with the fire. I mean, there's that scene when he's in the hot tub and and uh, she, he's he's with that uh, Dothraki whore, as it were, and she pours a bit of the wax onto his chest and he goes out he can't deal with the heat mm-hmm. or as you see danny she goes into the hot tub at the beginning of the first episode um and people saying that's too hot she she's fine with that and mm-hmm. and later when she picks up the dragon eggs and she puts it in the fire and there's no burnt marks on her hands again that just adds to the notion that she's the legitimate heir and viserys is just this charlatan but mm-hmm. over to you what do you make of their relationship and uh, the interaction between those two characters yeah like like you said it's it's it, it's very disturbing it, it, it's very strange i mean I, cersei mentions later that you know the the targaryens used to inbreed shall we say uh for for years and years and you kind of wonder if that's a bit if we're seeing sort of the leftovers of that with the way that uh, Viserys is, is looking at Danny uh in these these early episodes also you know clearly he's he's power hungry and he's willing to to give her up for anything and really in these these first couple of episodes we we really see sort of her go from 
you know the the, the slouching you know young uh, helpless helpless you know the damsel in distress basically and it's it's strange the way her relationship with with drogo uh tra- transit or er, goes because like 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 i said it starts off with her essentially um being raped and she sort of knows that she has to that this is her her life and she has to find ways of of you know dealing with that and it's almost in this way of, of dealing with that where like you said she starts to gain more power and she you know she's on top with drogo and from that moment on she's all of a sudden she's she's ordering around uh jora to to uh to stop the dothraki and and all of a sudden she's the one with the power uh because she has this army that is that supports her and not uh viserius and and it's a it's a very interesting story for her and and it's sort of everything that she she learns with the dothraki is sort of what takes her and propels her forward in future episodes and and future seasons and and brings us to where we are in season five all right, so let's let's move on and talk a little bit about the mighty Cal Drogo. So he's 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 another one of those characters. He's kind of like he's almost a bit like Ned in the sense that he's he's built up as such a huge character in the in in season one, and then you know his presence is felt in the later seasons, but you know he meets his end uh, pretty quickly on in the in the series. Uh, so overall, what was your take on on Khal Drogo? I think his his character was certainly compelling. It there was a lot more to him than first meets the eye because in that first episode when Daenerys, Viserys, and, and the and the Maester walk out of the, the Grand Palace, and you see the Dothraki riding up, and and then he's just sat there on his saddle, and and it just seems to be. You know, from the perspective of of Viserys, which in a similar way to is similar to the audience's perspective, in the sense that this is just a common savage here, can't speak the common tongue of English, and um, and you're thinking to yourself, oh my goodness me, she's going to marry this person. Yeah, uh, Daenerys has got absolutely no chance here, and uh, and as you said at the beginning, talking about her progression as well, that. Straight away in that first episode, that when they marry, she gets raped, and you're thinking, "Oh my goodness me, this is going to yeah. be a horrible marriage." <laughs> um, but he actually does warm to her, and you can see there's affection from both of those characters. And and you really, I I would say, become far more endeared to his character in the sense that you can see he cares for her. Mm-hmm. He um, he certainly respects her for who she is, even though she is technically a foreigner to these Dothraki horse lords, but he does respect her for who she is and and, she, and he aims to protect her and he listens to what she has to say. And that, that was really expedited um, as a result of that change in the fact that... Uh, in, in change in, in um, sleeping together, I guess, yeah. is the way to put it, that she becomes far more dominant and... He respects that because, again, he, these Dothraki are the the ultra masculine archetype, as it were. The, these men who are just incredibly uh, br- brutal in their ways. They're violent, and really, their main court of order is to do with anything with um, you know, who again, survival of the fittest, and and exhibiting yourself as being the strongest alpha male. And she, there to him, 
represents the archetypal Dothraki female, as it were, that she's ready to stand up for herself. And, and it's something new and different to him, which he, he likes. And I like the fact that after she bores his son or she becomes fertile with his child, that he really does care for her and, and respects the fact that she actually is affectionate and understanding towards the Dothraki way, the Dothraki tradition, and the same way that he respects her as a as a female and a Khaleesi, as a queen, rather than just a common slave, as it were, which, again, when you saw that at the beginning, one could certainly fear for, for her life in that respect. But what did you make of, Dof, uh, of Karl Drogo? And right at the start, you know, as I said, can you when you see him there just sitting on his horse and you think he's just common savage? Does your opinion really change of him over these first five episodes? Well, yeah, I, I'm very sort of I've been trying to figure out why my opinion of him changes and why I think gen- just in general people's opinion of him change because, like you said at the beginning, he does just kind of seem sort of like the the savage. I mean, and and like we said, he rapes her at the beginning. So it, it doesn't seem like it's going to be a, a healthy relationship uh, where both parties are in love with each other or anything. It, it seems very strange. And, you know, I think really with her, I think she sort of begins to like the power uh, that he brings her. The, you know, the ability to be in charge, to control these Dothraki and she enjoys this power and i think that's more what she falls in love with than him him than him as a person necessarily and that's why she sort of continues on uh wanting power after he dies and you know that's sort of driving her towards taking over the uh taking over westeros and taking on the iron throne and i think the other reason that he sort of endears himself to people is you know at the beginning daenerys is very much defined by the men in her life and as her story continues, she becomes defined by herself. And, and I think that's part of the reason that her story is so, has been so inspirational to, to women is, is the fact that she goes from being totally at the mercy of, of Viserys and, and even Drogo to, you know, being the one in control by the time we, we get to seasons four and five and even three to a certain extent. And, and so I think Drogo sort of becomes the lesser of two evils in, in her life where she has Viserys who doesn't respect her at all. And you have Drogo, who sort of learns to respect her and and loves her for at least being the the mother of his child. And so I think that sort of led to his his increase in popularity, we'll say. Um, not to mention that he just looks really cool as well. I mean, he looks like wouldn't everybody would love to look like Jason Momoa in these uh, the way he looks in in these episodes. Uh, and so, yeah, I think that's sort of where. I look at, at Drogo as sort of he he starts off as sort of that sort of sa- that savage, and I don't really know if he does much to really change that, other than uh, sort of Daenerys's is a view on him changes because of her relationship with Viserys and the fact that you know they're going to be parents together. Uh, and then there's another another character who really is, is very helpful to to Danny in these episodes, and that's Sir Jorah Mormont, and you know he's the Former slave, slave seller, I guess, uh, who's caught by Ned Stark and, and banished, and he seems to be her one sort of uh, one helper, the only person she can really trust. Uh, but what we really know is that she she shouldn't trust him, and it's and it's done very well that it's 
that I, I, you know, I didn't really realize at first that he was the, uh, that he would be a, a traitor. I don't know. Did you, did that, was that obvious to you right away? No, it wasn't obvious at all. It was only obvious in the later episodes between episode yeah. six and 10, which we'll talk about. But now, but, but in hindsight, there are subtle hints here, yeah. aren't there, at the, at the early stage. The main one is in episode three, I believe it is, when he's 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 in that tent talking with one of the yeah. Dothraki people and the Dothraki woman, she walks in and says that Daenerys needs some proper food yeah. because she is pregnant with the White Stallion. And then he says something to the effect of, I need to go and venture to Korra now. I... I will meet you somewhere else later down the line. And at the time you think, oh, well, I don't, why is he going down there for it? Well, it wasn't particularly obvious. But now it becomes so patent that his goal there was to communicate to Lord Varys's spy or um, whoever, mm-hmm. he, whoever Lord Varys had dispatched um, to the east for Jorah to communicate with. And it was just... It was those little subtle hints, which is what's great with this show is that they're able to look at look at it through the lenses of an overarching storyline, and and they know that there are these small beats and elements that are going to actually be revealed as some massive plot, or um, or it'll be a big revelation at the end. So when we do get to the episode, as you said, where we find out and discover that the real reason he is behind this at the start, at least initially, is so he can get a royal pardon and be uh, remiss. And uh, basically his crimes would be repealed and he would be um, accepted back into the, the society in Westeros. But yeah, what did, what did you make? Because uh, usually you ask me what I think of my characters <laughs> first. So I've got to switch it over and ask you. What did you make of, of Jorah as, as Daenerys' helper? And, and do you think that you could... Uh, see the blossoming relationship or friendship between yeah. those two characters. Yeah, well, it seems Jorah's are the only person that really cares about uh, cares about Daenerys. I mean, she's very much a, a symbol of status for for Drogo, and she's a means to an end for Viserys. And there's Jorah, who's actually there and cares about her. And it, it's very interesting to watch him because unlike he's sort of the polar opposite of, of Viserys because Viserys thinks thinks of himself as better than the Dothraki and he refuses to to wear their clothing. I mean, uh, uh, Danny makes or has a has some Dothraki style clothing made for him and he refuses to wear it. And there you have you have Jorah who, while he's he's not dressing like a Dothraki, he's interacting with them. He's respect he respects them. He's there's that scene you mentioned uh, where he finds out that that she's pregnant uh he's having a conversation with the dothraki about uh about you know the differences between the weapons and he clearly he sees the he sees the advantages of the dothraki weapons and 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 all that he can he can speak the language uh he, he's really sort of the counterpoint to viserys and you know i'm sure everybody's seen the uh the game of thrones honest trailer where he gets referred to as i think lord friendzone and you, you really do feel bad for him because he is really the only person that seems to actually care about her in that whole that whole area that that whole area like cares about her as a person person like i said I, I do think that drogo does kind of think of her as a as a status symbol more than an actual person so it, it's interesting that that you know she doesn't really seem to see uh see that in him uh, so what was your take on 
Sejora. I, I like I like his character. I liked him in the beginning, and I still like him now. To be honest, I oh, yeah. feel so much sympathy towards towards him and and what we'll later see uh, down the line in his storyline. I I think that there's a lot to admire about his character, and of course we know as we look, we look at about um, his objectives, as it were, his ambitions in life, and at the start. You see, Jorah has been—he has been uh, vindicted for uh, committing crimes uh, concerning selling people into slavery. Mm-hmm. And, and Ned Stark, honourable Ned Stark, as we we know and love him, he's desired his head as a result of that. But there's so much more to his character that that we we really need to, um, I guess, be. be uh, endeared to I think because yeah. he is one of those characters that genuinely does care for Daenerys particularly in this uh, in, in in this actual region here the horselands and, and in the east where she really is alone for most of it yeah. she's got a brother who treats her like a, like a pawn um, and in a similar way as you said Drogo is affectionate towards her mm-hmm. but does perceive her as really this this status symbol and again, her people, as it were, um, that they, if Azeris had his way, would be under his rule anyway. Yeah. So, what power does she really have? Exactly. He seems to be a genuine figurehead where she can turn to and and talk to. And you know, you have the uh, the fact that they're both speaking in a common tongue is an example of how that they can they can bond so quickly. And he genuinely seems to want to protect her and. And by the end, by the time it gets to episode five, he's really listening to what she has to say more than what Viserys has to say. Exactly. Um, and, and we come into episode six, not not just yet, but there's that great scene when Viserys and, and Jorah have their, their clash. But I think what it does demonstrate is that he is a character that is not just an advisor, but a friend yes. to Daenerys, which is something that she doesn't, she hasn't really had throughout her whole life. We can only... It, it can only be implicated in that way, I guess. But I think that for someone like Jorah, it's it's important for him that he sticks with her as well because that's that's really where his uh, his loyalties lie, but also his his compassion lies. And I think that again, we can speculate a little bit in the future, but ultimately, their, their depart their departing of ways, as it were, and the end of season four, mm-hmm. I think, is. It's going to affect both of them very, very harshly. Um, but, I, but the point is, in these episodes, I think that Jorah Mormont was a fascinating character and and and, and, and one that could be beloved, really, oh, particularly yeah. because of the way he interacts with Daenerys Targaryen. Yeah, it's it's uh, he's one of those characters they really build him up in these these early episodes as someone that you you want to like and that you do like, and that makes those sequences in season four where he where you know his treachery is uncovered and she banishes him uh all the more tragic all right so absolutely so uh before we wrap things up we're going to we're going to bring over one of our segments from the clone war strikes back one of our favorite segments and that's where we uh look back on these episodes and share some of our favorite quotes or favorite moments from these episodes uh Sometimes we'll have a quote for each each episode. Sometimes just a few. Um, you know, Game of Thrones is so quotable that you know you can go through uh, st- you can go through like so many ep- you go through just a few episodes and have so many quotes. Um, but I've picked out 
picked out two of my favorites. I don't know, Kieran, how many you picked out because uh, you tend to, to pick out way more than I do uh, over on over on the other show. Uh, but uh, are you ready? Do you want to go first or shall I? I'll let you go first. This All time. right. So I, I've got, um, you know, we, we talked a, a lot about King Robert and some of his funnier lines. And, and one of my favorite uh, of his more comedic lines is uh, at the tournament when he's, you know, he's completely drunk and he says, start the damn joust before I piss myself. I thought that was just a, a hilarious line and, and brilliantly delivered by uh, by Mr. Mark Addy. So uh, do you have uh, f- uh, another? Do you have one? Are you ready? Can you give us one or shall I give my other? I've got one ready here. All right. It's in no particular order at this point, but it's the, the end of the episode, Cripples, Bastards and Broken Things, when Kat and has uh, decided to apprehend the imp and she says she she's calling all of the phrases Harren Hall loyalist and says in the name of King Robert I call you to seize upon him mm. and await the king's justice and then there's that great moment when everyone draws their sword and points it at Tyrion again I do like Tyrion but I do think that was an epic line there from Cat. oh yeah Absolutely. that was just a great great moment where I remember at the time just thinking oh my gosh I want to see the next episode <laughs> what's going to happen to Tyrion yeah, um, yeah. Well, over to you, Dominic. What have you got? Another quote yeah. that you want to yeah. disclose? I've got a got a Tyrion quote, and this is this is one of my favorite quotes, uh, not only from the series but just in in general. I think it's it's a really it's a fun way to to think about life and and everything. It's from Tyrion. It's from the second episode. He says, "Death is so final, whereas life is so full of possibilities." And and I just love that quote. I think it's a it's it's uh you know it's it's funny. And it's inspirational and, and all kinds of good stuff like that. So yeah, that those are those are my two quotes. Uh, I'll throw it back over to you if you have a few others you'd like to like to share. Uh, I've just got the one more I will say, and that is the one which that we, I think believe we do here at the uh, at the intro, which is the Ned Stark line to Bran when he says, um, "It is the uh, it's the man who's." Oh my gosh! I can't even say man- it properly now. The man who swings the sword. No, nope, no, nope. wrong. Oh my goodness me! Game <laughs> the- of Thrones fans are going to be absolutely distraught yeah. with me. I tell you, you, what, are, no, you, you sir, are no time. host of a Game of Thrones podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? To be honest, if people have listened to me on the Clone Wars Strikes Back, that they wouldn't really be surprised that I still, <laughs> to this day, cannot even write down the simple quote you can't get and get quote. it right. But yeah, I mean, it was that. It was, it was that yeah, I know, he, he, I know it. I know it. You it's, know it. It's the, the man it who me, the man who passes the sentence should be the one to swing the sword. That's the, That's exactly. There we what go. I was trying to say. Um, I'll, I'll say at least why I chose that. Name yeah. Because I can't even say the right quote. But uh, no, I just think that was a great line. Really, it, it exemplified Ned Stark. Really, the, his honourable code, as it were, and it was just a great bonding uh, line, I guess, between him and Bran after Bran has just to bear witness to uh, the first man he's ever seen been killed. Yeah. yeah. Great line. Great line by Ned. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. So let's wrap things up by giving our final thoughts on the first five episodes of Game of Thrones. Kieran, why don't you go first? Absolutely. I, I, I will go first. And I think that is definitely the just great great opening really to the series. I think episodes one to five they really hook you in there mm-hmm. they really do because there's just so many compelling characters on display i mean we've gone through so many and 
yet we still have, we still could have to go through <laughs> even more if we really wanted to. Yeah. I mean, uh, we haven't even touched upon yet the Royal Council, which we will do next time. Mm-hmm. But you know, this, you've got the House of Star, the House of Lannisters. Uh, of course, you've got the Raffians and Daenerys and her story. It's just so complex, and it, it's just so so fascinating. And of course, some of the most poignant moments to me. Um, again, would be that the end of the first episode, that that shot of Bran being pushed from that tower, that was certainly the scene that made me think this is going to be an absolute amazing TV show. Just as I said, it just hooked me right in. And another good moment was right at the end of these episodes, the fight between Jamie Lannister and Ned Stark, yeah. which was just fantastic <laughs> to see. To see the two different fighting styles between Jamie Lannister and and Eddard. And it really was a close fight, and it's, yeah. it's just a shame that it had to be uh, ruined, as it were, by that uh, that royal guard. Yeah, of, uh, we'll never know who would have won. But but it's also a very very important moment because it really does. Um, I, I think it represents a shift for uh, Ned Stark and and his, and his power play really in in King's Landing, as I think that really showcases the fact that he's lost most of his men or at least his closest advisor and he's physically wounded but I think that's also a metaphor there to demonstrate that he, he has lost he's lost a bit of strength not just physically but also in terms of his political power at oh, King's yes. Landing but I think that overall episodes 1 to 5 absolutely great great episodes and just um, a phenomenal way to get people geared and and um, and, and hooked as it were into the series over to you dominic what were your final thoughts for episodes one to five for game of thrones oh yes it's a, it's a phenomenal beginning to a phenomenal series you really you get the you get to see where it all begins and like we said hbo took some chances by you know starting this the series almost you know kind of slowly with, with a lot of talk and a lot of political maneuvering and and it really isn't until uh, so, so that it really isn't until uh, episode five that we get to see what we've been hoping for since episode one, which was the showdown between Ned and Jamie. And I think you know uh, the waiting made that made that fight all the more exciting, all the all the better, and and absolutely just phenomenal stuff. Really enjoyed getting to to go back and and you know refamiliarize ourselves with these characters uh, that are that a lot of them are dead now a lot of them are dead um but still some that are alive and it's really interesting to see where they all started from and especially knowing where they're going uh yeah absolutely phenomenal phenomenal stuff for episodes one to five all right so that is going to wrap things up on our first episode there we go episode one is in the can thank you guys so much for listening we hope you enjoyed it uh you know keep in mind episode one of of any show is always is always interesting you know it's always finding our rhythm and i i think we found it and we'll we'll kick we'll start from where we left off with episode two next week and and really keep running from there so yeah thank you everybody for listening if you want to keep up with what we're up to between shows you can follow us on twitter at watcher westeros the watchers of westeros is apparently too long for twitter so just the first so watcher westeros no spaces uh you can follow me personally on twitter at dominic j25 you can follow kieran at c duggan six uh, be sure to like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Watchers of Westeros. And if you want to send us your opinions on all things Game of Thrones, uh, you can email us, watchersofwesteros at gmail.com. Kieran, why don't you tell the people what is coming up on Expression FM this week? 
Busy, busy times of Expression FM, as always. This week is really predominantly about music week, particularly live music. We're getting some local bands coming in and we're giving them some interviews, particularly around the evening time slot, which is between 6 till 7 p.m. So please do tune into that. I'll reveal the details of how you can do that right at the end of this. And we've also got busy time with the sports team at the moment. Um, particularly on, uh, well, we could, we're going to have to talk about the ramifications now of this grand Super Bowl that took place on Sunday. Mm-hmm. And we have got uh, we got football to talk about, rugby, cricket, all sorts, all sorts. And um, you can tune into that on Saturdays, 11 a.m. until 2 p.m. And Tuesday night sport, we got a special, if, if this comes out in time, we've got a special extra, extra city-focused episode which to many people they've probably never even heard of who ecstasy are <laughs> but that's where i'm based at here in england and if you if you want if you are an avid fan then well good on you i guess but uh, i wouldn't recommend it and then <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we've also got uh, plenty of other football chat that'll be on tuesday 8 8, 8 p.m sorry 8 p.m till 10 p.m. and I must stress that these are all in GMT time so if you listen to it in North America it'll be about five hours behind the times I've just said and the way you can listen is by going on our website which is www.expression.fm and you can get in touch with us via Facebook and Twitter so the Facebook page is www.facebook.com slash expressionfm and the Twitter handle is at expressionfm so please do listen to that. Also, I can't believe I didn't mention this, but I've got my own show on Thursday <laughs> that you should probably listen to. Yes. And that's between 2 p.m. till 4 p.m. Um, and that's just a load of fun, really. We play dance anthems, cheesy songs, quizzes, you name it. We'll, we'll have it there, don't worry. So do tune into that if you if you want to have if you want to listen to some good banter, I think is what is what I would label it as well. That's my interpretation of it anyway. But over to you, Dominic. Do you want to disclose any of your podcasts yeah. yes. that, uh, that you want that you want to be uh, letting the listeners know in about? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you want to hear my take on all things that are going on in the Star Wars universe, you can listen to the Star Wars Underworld podcast that's recorded each and every Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, it's on it's broadcast live on channel 1138.com, and then you can subscribe to it on iTunes after the fact, or you can get uh, episodes uh, on Fridays, again, on iTunes, or uh, by going to StarWarsUnderworld.com, and you can go to that website if you want to keep up on all things, or all the latest breaking Star Wars news. And don't forget, you can listen to Kieran and I together talking about Star Wars The Clone Wars. Uh, our Clone Wars podcast is... Uh, the Clone War Strikes Back. You can find it on the same iTunes feed as the Star Wars Underworld and at the same website. Uh, our latest episode, we talked about the Slavers arc from Season 3 as well as the standalone episode of Friend in Need. And uh, next week, we'll be recording our episode for the Reiko Hardeen arc from Season uh, from season 4. Right, Those other episodes were from Season 4 as well, not Season 3. Uh, but the Reiko Hardeen arc from Season 4. And we, uh, we have some pretty cool surprises in store for that episode. So you'll definitely want to check it out if you are a Clone Wars fan. Uh, so again, thank you everybody for listening. Uh, we'll have an iTunes feed up and ready for this episode. So by the time you hear, by the time episode two is released, we'll have all the details for that ready to tell you about. But we still have to finish working on that uh, because, well, there's no point in having an iTunes feed if you have no episodes ready. So thank you again, everybody, for listening. For the Washers of Westeros, I'm Dominic. I'm Kieran. And remember, winter is coming. <laughs>